Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor McGuire. Marler, you know I don't cuss, but I need to say it. I need to say the H word. Oh God! Is this about your softball game? We're at the halfway game? point. No, okay. no, no. That's a different story for a different time. We are at the halfway point. Don't do this. Of the 2019 season. I know, I know, I know. But I need to say it because. It's, it's a reminder to every college football fan that, as you always say, these weekends, these Saturdays, they are they precious. They are. And we mustn't take any of them for no. granted moving forward because now we only have half of them left, and that makes me very, very sad. You know, and for the second year in a row, I wish you didn't do this. I'm on, like, on cloud nine right now, and you just, of course, hit her. You're listening to Avril Lavigne before we got and on. And some move on. I'm sorry. You know, I've been on a big Disney oh. kick this week because, this. you know, I enjoy this part of the episode when we just talk about nonsense um, for a minute. But, like, the Disney, so Disney Plus announced that they were coming out this week? Or, like, next year or something? I don't know. I saw all that, that, that massive thread that they had with it was all awesome. those movies. It was awesome. And um, it was funny, too, because I had, well, I, I can't share this part, but because um, it's 2013, Chris, I had a reminder on Facebook pop up, and it was like, but it was Disney-related, which was cool. Um, so I was ex- I'm excited about that. I was listening to a little Mulan. I'll make a man out of you. A little pump up. A little Avril Lavigne. I also listen to Thunderstroke in case anyone's questioning my masculinity. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a. It's, I, I don't like that you bring this up though. The halfway point. I'm sorry. I I hate to bring up. I hate to start with a bummer, but at the same time, it's it's not a bummer. It's just a reminder that these weekends are precious, and we're going to appreciate this weekend for what it is. Week eight in the yeah. SEC. We have a lot to get to. We of course we have picks. We got over unders. Got an interview with our good buddy Luke Del Luke. Rio. So great to catch up with him, the former Florida quarterback. Who, for OG listeners of this yeah. podcast, you know that he was somebody that we had on a lot last year. Oh, kind boy. of explained why he sort of went away from the media sector and is now into coaching. But it's so still, great to still, catch up with Luke. Uh, keeping up with all of my bad takes on Twitter, which was good to know. Yeah, even though he deleted Twitter <laughs> off his phone, he still knows He's all like, your bad takes. By the way, takes, you had one like a couple days ago. Uh, no, let's just say real quick, too, the Luke thing was awesome. Um, about the about the halfway point, I think we honestly need to start a petition for the NCAA with that Week 13 slate. That Something has to be done about that because that's the worst. That is the absolute worst. Like, you, once you get to the end of the season, it's like, oh, man, next week's rivalry week. You know, like, the end of the season's almost near. Like, we, we don't need – I'm trying to look at it right now. Bama's got Western Carolina or Auburn Sanford or Kentucky UT Martin. We need games. We need good games. You know what's funny is, so last year, one of my one of my friends from um, back in the Chicago area, uh, she got married that weekend. And so my wife and I flew in for that. And I was worried at first about that weekend, about – Getting that weekend off because, as we know, these yeah. Saturdays are precious. Try and not take a single weekend off. We want to be able to watch all the games. When I when I sent an email to uh, to sirens. our editor, she right. Oh, we got sirens already. We're not even uh, we're not even cooking yeah, not even yet. We already got sirens. Good good night, man. So I sent an email to C Wright, and it's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like you can miss that weekend. So again, this year I have another wedding oh that God, same Connor. weekend. My my best friend from back home, I'll be standing in the wedding. And it's Cupcake Week, but it couldn't have worked out better. I'm just going to have all my friends get married in Cupcake Week, and life will be fine. Or, you know, what you could also do is tell them to get stop getting married in the fall. That's like that's one thing I would say personally. But I remember last year, that's when me and me and Bay went to the Georgia Tech game. This is unbelievable. Yes, this, this, is is this is a big one behind us. Um, oh. Some good news, real quick. I just want to shout out. Uh, I guess pat myself, not pat myself on the back, pat my fiance on the back. But the sirens you hear in the background, guys. Hopefully this is the last time you're going to hear them ever. Soon to be no because more. Because as of as of you listening to this podcast, Thursday, October, what is it, seventeenth? 
We are officially going to be closed on a house. So we'll be moving uh, this weekend next and, um, and, and be in our first little home. So no more sirens, hopefully. I'm going to miss the sirens. Can you just put them in the background? <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's good. Let's I do that. You. Let's do that. Before we talk, we, we also are going to talk about, um, we're going to rank SEC coaches based entirely on their 2019 performance, which is going to be all sorts fight. of debated. Definitely. No doubt about it. We're going to get into another fight. But before we do all of that and get to all of our stuff that we have today, Marler, tell us about your best friend, Texas. Man, Bay. I am so excited. So there was a lot of people that reached out this week about... Um, can you put Texas Pete on Gator? And I get it. I get it, guys. Oh, yeah. um, you know, LSU played Florida. It was a big win. All that kind of stuff. People still riding high. I've been riding high with Texas Pete, not just this season, all year and the year before, and pretty much since I was old enough to put, you know, uh, turkey deli meat into a, a Ziploc bag and then just douse it in Texas Pete and shake it up like a little little maraca of fun and flavor. And um, that's, that may sound gross to you, but it's not. It's delicious because, again, you can put it on everything, and I do. And, listen, um, Hot Girl Summer, as we talked about, it's, it's long over. I don't know how the, what the weather is down, for, down there with you guys in Orlando. Right now, we are, we are in just pure hocus-pocus weather right now, okay? It's, it's got, I guess, <sighs> a little overcast. It's perfect nap weather, right? It's, I hate, yeah, I'm so jealous. It's the best. It's a little overcast. There's just there's orange red, brown leaves falling everywhere. It's just a beautiful, just a cornucopia of colors up here, guys. Great word. Um, but yeah, hot girl summer's over. Hot girl fall is going to be in full effect, especially when we move into this new house. I can't wait. Um, we've been we've been doing this the past couple of weeks. I know a lot of people um, going to tailgates and stuff like that. I'm not sure if you're headed to a game this weekend or if you're grilling out with friends at home. But regardless, make sure you go to TexasPeak.com for all the best recipes. Make sure you're checking out. Our YouTube page for Saturday Down South and, and also Saturday yes. South on Facebook, checking out some of the videos we did and, and showing some great recipes from Texas Pete. And make sure you're sending in pictures of your own Hot Girl Fall and game day recipes and tailgates as well using the hashtag sauce like you mean it. I'm fired up, man. I'm excited. I'm excited for this is like the best time of year. Like this this little two to three week stretch in late October, early November, getting that George Auburn game. Leaves are changing. Yeah, grill just fired up. God, it's my favorite time of year. I miss fall so much. That is the single worst thing about Orlando is not having a fall. Oh, yeah. It is brutal. It's I mean, yeah, what do, you, what do you all do down there? Is it Christmas hot? <sighs> we just, yes. I've, I've been out outside on Christmas when it's 92. That is disgusting. It's it's not ideal. That was my first Christmas down in the state of Florida. It was 92. And I, because I stayed here for Christmas because I, I went home a little bit early. was covered yeah. doing some, some work back here and whatnot. But, yeah, not ideal. Anyways, let's get to a subject that I don't know if we do. We don't do this enough in terms of, like, we rank coaches all the time. That's one thing. But we end up ranking coaches based on resumes or we say which coach is the best value or something like that. But let's do something that's that's different that's a little bit more topical. We're going to rank coaches based on strictly what they have done in this 2019 window. Now, that takes in off-season expectations into account. Uh, we talk about preseason, preseason injuries, how you've been able to deal with that, your your area of expertise, how that side of the ball is functioning, um, even coaching hirings, whatever whatever has gone into whether or not this season is being deemed a success or a failure for your team, that comes back to the head coach as we know. So we have some disagreement on this. I'm going to go through the rankings first, and then we'll we'll pick we'll pick a couple points of discontention for you. Does that sound good? I don't even know what that word means, but yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to go okay. with it. 14, Chad Red Bull Morris. That is so, okay, obvious. yeah, you're, you're, I love you, but you're dumb. That's a dumb, 
It's a Please dumb clap, clap at the end. We're going we're to hold <laughs> off on applause. Derek Mason, number 13. Number 12, Joe Moorhead. Number 11, Jeremy Pruitt. 10, Jimbo Fisher. 9, Mark, put your money in this bank stoops. Number 8, Matt Luke. 7, Will Muschamp. 6, Kirby Smart. 5, Barry Odom. 4, Gus, new Gus, Malzahn. Number 3, Ed, the man, Ogeron. Number 2, Dan Mullen. Number 1, Nick Saban. So, you hate 14. That's what you, I've heard the from most. You, where you started. So I mean, you're wrong in so many places. But, yeah, you started at Chad Morris. So what is again? I don't know. How, I don't know. We're gonna we're not gonna start just at fourteen. We're, it's Derek Mason is fourteen, hands down. Yeah, you could make the case that Derek Mason is fourteen. So he's yes. he's literally I, won less games. He had more expectations. Why would Chad Morris be last? Chad Morris had, I would say he that had probably Mason. the least amount. Like we we thought that Arkansas was gonna be one of, if not the worst team. I think we had him last preseason, right? Like in the league, or do we have yeah, Ole Miss yeah. like that? Like. Like no, I don't miss. So last, his expe- the expectation expectations for Arkansas were at the very bottom, and they've gone what two and four. Two uh, two and four. The Colorado State game, yes. So uh, the way that I justified this was my expectations for Derek Mason were very very low as well. Same same as Chad Morris, no doubt about it. I still had a little bit more of an expectation that we would start to see Arkansas transition into some sort of offensive identity. We are heading into week eight, and he said that his quarterback situation is still completely up in the Which air. Same at Vanderbilt. He still has – true, fair enough. But his quarterback situation is a complete disaster despite the fact that he has gutted his entire roster of quarterbacks in the last year, and he has tried to bring in new guys repeatedly, and nobody seems to be able to grasp the concept of his offense. Nobody can finish a game playing quarterback in his offense. I, I, what I just don't understand, though, again, he has more wins – he had less expectations, and he has more wins. Derek Mason has one win, and, and take away the first three games of the year that we've talked about, the, the most difficult start of the year, blah, 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 blah. He just got beat by UNLV. He got, he got destroyed like by UNLV. At home, he has one win by six total points against Northern Illinois. He, they are the worst team he- in the league by far. And, yeah. and, okay. And, and, All right. You've talked me into it. I'll put. Okay. Ban- I'll put. There you go. Preempt. I'll, I'll go back. I'll put Derek Mason. Well, it's not you enough that you're saying that I'm right. I want you. <laughs> but no. But the only, so the reason I would say it too, and the, I was I was excited to make this point, is I, I get what you're saying with Arkansas, and, and this is an offensive-minded coach. You thought was going like I I thought like all right. Well, they they made the switch to Starkle. They're going to start putting up however many yards a game. And you saw what they did against Texas A&M. Maybe they've turned the corner, and they and they haven't necessarily. But when you look at Vanderbilt, we've talked about this before. Vanderbilt has. Three of the best players at their position in the entire conference. Lipscomb, Pinkney, yep. um, how do I say his name wrong? Pink, Pinkney? Pink, it's, kind yeah. of, it's kind of weird to okay. say. Because you want to say Pinky. You want to say Pinky yeah. and it's Pinkney. So, so, and then him and then Keyshawn Vaughn. Like, th- that is, those are three of the best offensive players on one offense for a Vanderbilt unit. In, mm-hmm. in probably in program history. And they've been just historically bad. So I'd have to say Derek Mason. And, and by the way... If we're going to have that argument be about Chad Morris, and I understand you walked it back, whatever, but like Derek Mason's a defensive coach, and they're they're one of the worst yeah. defenses right. in the entire country. Right, that's all I want to hear. Uh, so, so I would have <laughs> let's move fast. I would that. have him last, and you know, again, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out here. I think you're a victim of recency bias here. I got Jeremy Pruitt 13th, based off the expectations we had. Go 13th, yes, going into the season. So you, listen, you have if you're if you're Jeremy Pruitt, you have one win against against Mississippi State. 
Now, that's a good win, I guess, right? Like maybe in week two yeah, or three. Yeah, touchdown underdogs yeah. in the game. I'll give them credit Some for that. Some of us yeah. already saw that coming in the offseason. It's fine. Whatever. We can talk about it. But, but no, like we, we, you know, in the first three weeks of the year, when you look at Mississippi State, when they're, you know, maybe four weeks when they were three and one and we had higher expectations for them and they had the one loss to Kansas State, but Tommy Stevens is hurt, blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's an impressive win at that point. But you're talking about a team that has been absolutely demolished. And they, they, we, me especially, and maybe this is just my own personal vendetta because I'm the one that said that, that like them covering more wins than they had last year was the best bet in the entire country. Them covering yep, seven wins for, uh, you know, the Vegas preseason totals, I thought that was the best bet in the country, and they were going to make the, the the best jump from where they were in year one in his system to year two. And, you know, keep in mind this. They had wins last year against uh, Auburn. Who's the other one I'm, I'm forgetting? I always forget. The, Kentucky. And Kentucky. Kentucky. And, like, those are teams that were ranked in, in the season. And, like, one of them won ten games. It's, it's sad to see how much of a I would say drop they had from last year to this year okay I gave Pruitt a little bit of an edge it just a lot of it is I'll admit a lot of it is based on what we just saw this past Saturday where we're talking about two coaches where we see no no, no here, here's it here's I'll, I'll, I'll okay. I'm gonna actually justify this I'm gonna stand firm on this one because you know that I am a big Joe Moorhead yeah. supporter you know that but we're watching Joe Moorhead's offense against Jeremy Pruitt's That's defense, fair. and Jeremy Pruitt thoroughly outcoached yeah. him. I mean, not even close. And I did a full breakdown, shameless plug. It's on SDS, basically saying what we saw on Saturday from Tennessee. That can be. That's what a successful Jeremy Pruitt program will look like. Doing the things that they were able to do, confusing Mississippi State's offense, forcing throws into double coverage, confusing guys at the line of scrimmage to where their offensive line had no idea what was going on in Mississippi State side. That game. Pruitt totally outcoached Joe Moorhead. And I look at that, and the, what the resume is so far to me, yeah, you beat Kentucky at home. That was a game that got way closer than it probably should have been. Congratulations. Kentucky was playing Sawyer yeah. Smith in that one and was was a disaster. The other two games, all right, cool. You, you beat a couple of group of five teams, big pat on the back. I get that Tennessee has been awful in the first part of the year, but relative to expectations, I am so frustrated with watching Joe Moorhead's offense continue oh. to struggle, whereas I think Tennessee's defense actually has some sort of signs of life, and I think they can kind of build off this. Yeah. So, yes, recency bias did play a factor in this, but that's why I had Pruitt ahead do you, of Moorhead. So do you think, and this is maybe something we should have addressed beforehand, but like, do you think, one, that it happens, and two, that it's fair that, we, that it kind of creeps into like these rankings of like, okay, so... Morris is an offensive coach. Derek Mason's a defensive coach. Pruitt's. I think it has okay. to be That's taken fair. into account. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Because I, I, think, I think, too, if you were, like, a big topic of discussion this week, and I know that we're not quite there yet. I had Coach O at number three. A big topic of discussion with him is whether or not he deserves credit for this offensive success. And I say, systemically, absolutely. Right. To have the presence of mind to hire Joe Brady to say, hey, Steve Enspinger, I know you're a coordinator, but I need to bring in this guy to be able to retool our offense. Can you work with him? Can you be able to figure this out? Can you guys have a working relationship together? I give Coach O so much credit for doing that. And yes, while he's not necessarily the mastermind behind the offense, and it's not like it's his system that's totally revamping yeah. that team, he still deserves a lot of credit. So, But I do think it's a fair question to ask because that that that's kind of how we think of this and we think of these guys as being offensive minded defensive minded and you look at the improvement that's developed on that side for a head coach do you, do you think that Tennessee can reach a bowl game no no i don't what, what do you think no, that, what do you think the I, ceiling I, I is for their wins five wins do you think it's ceiling that means that means they would beat Vandy they would beat UAB and then either they have five losses yeah let's just call it what it is they have five they're losses they're getting six of the on Saturday, games a loss yeah. well they already have 
Oh, no, they no, had no, four, no. you're right. No, they, they're two and yeah. four. I'm, I'm already counting the Bama game as That's a loss, point, is what yeah. I'm saying. Okay. So, th- essentially, they would have to, to not lose two games after that, which I don't think that's the case. But who knows? Crazy that that whole happen. game on Saturday was like, it, it had the feeling of like, I, I crap on the Big Ten all the time. But it had the feeling of like, oh my God, I'm I'm watching Indiana Northwestern. It's just like this it, under yeah. under just a, a blanket of gray skies. Eleven just, a.m. 11 kick. A.m. kick. It was just ugh. Everything about it. Everything about that game I hated. All right, let's move on because I, I don't want to talk about these two anymore. I would I would Number interchangeable 10. put Morehead and Pruitt. Like they would both be at the bottom of me. You have Pruitt. You have Fisher tenth. I have Jimbo at ten, and I have A and M as my biggest disappointment in the SEC. Oh, just because I thought. Coming into the year, I thought they were going to be. I thought that they were going to be a top fifteen team, and I said, "Hey, look, we can't necessarily look at the schedule and punish A and M before it plays a game right. yet. They deserve to start in the top 15. I thought, based on their roster, what they had returning, especially at the skill positions, I liked what they had at receiver. Thought that they were going to be improved on the defensive line, and from what we've seen so far, we're at the halfway point of this season." A&M has one win against a Power 5 team, and it was a one-possession game against Arkansas that they barely won. And they've been outscored by the three teams. They have one win against the Power 5 team at the midway point of the year, and it was a one-possession game against Arkansas that was very much down to the wire. That's at the midway point of the season for a preseason top ten team that looks so one-dimensional. Yeah. And I have, and, and part of this is too is I have big concerns about A and M moving forward. And I I know that's that that's, that shouldn't necessarily factor into how we you know evaluate coaches yeah. based on we're basing them on what we've seen in 2019. But we A and M's weaknesses are so glaring. Oh God! The fact that they can't run the ball that's terrible. Yeah. When teams know that they're going to face so many good coaches down the stretch who are going to be able to take advantage of that, and so many already have. I think A&M is such a big disappointment so far, and A&M fans know it too. And I think Jimbo Fisher in year two has just been wildly underperforming. Yeah, I mean, I would say that but again. I, I still can't stop laughing at his whole thing. Yeah, we got a plan here. We got we got a plan. We got we got we got to follow the plan. You know, they, Bama hadn't allowed a first drive touchdown in 17 games. Think about that. And the, and and A&M just goes right down the field, takes off like seven minutes off the clock, and then the rest of the game is what. I mean, that, that is, it's like, you know, keep in mind, they, they needed that pick from Tua's first interception going into score at the end of the first half to keep it rem- like relatively close at halftime. In, after the first quarter in each game that A&M has played against the likes of Auburn, Alabama, and Clemson, has A&M had a prayer of winning that game? No. I don't, no. I'd say no. You know, and you know what's interesting, too, is like, so you think about this, like, so if without Tua throwing his first interception of the season... That game is 27-10 at the half or, or 31-10 at the half, and the game's over already, and like a game pretty much was over. But we talk about A&M went on the road to Clemson. Other than Clemson, that game that game alone was sandwiched by Texas State and Lamar, right? We, we talk about, like, it, it's just weird, and I'm not trying to make a definitive statement on their schedule is easier or harder than anyone else's, but it's it's kind of interesting to think about the way like the media or the fans or whoever or, or just in general, when you look at a schedule, it's like, oh, okay, well, listen, they played one of the toughest schedules in the country because they played Clemson. And we disregard like what you said about Arkansas being the only power five team they've beaten so far. That's, that is not a good resume. That's a bad resume. It's when you when you're three and three, and yeah, you look at those losses like, yeah, well, you know, they're three and three. They lost to Auburn, who's top fifteen. They lost to Bama and Clemson, who are top three. I get it. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, take a step back. Your only win versus a power five team is Arkansas. Like I, that is that's a very that 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 out of conference schedule doesn't look great anymore. And and your your resume in general looks bad. 
Shout out to the three AP voters who still had who still had AM in their top 25 with Jesus. three losses. Shout out to you for paying who attention is, to college who, football. Are they all in Texas? Were they all in, in <sighs> College Station? Usually, they're, no, usually that's not how it works. Usually it ends up, because they know they'll get called out for that. The people in the state of Texas actually pay attention. Yeah. They understand the storylines of what's going on within the schools in the state. It's usually people that aren't watching other you know other teams during College Football Saturday because, hey, they have their own yeah. games to cover. I, oh, that bothers me. I, Anyways, I wouldn't disagree with, with Jimbo 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 I think that's probably a good spot. Okay, all right. But what's what's your next biggest disagreement? On Matt that? Luke at eight. Would you put him higher? Third. <laughs> Third. Holy cow. No, are you serious? I, I am. And see, here's why. So Matt Luke, um, I, I so I had Ole Miss 14th. I had, I, I think I had him down there with you, or maybe I had him 13th. Yeah, I had him dead last, um, too. Yeah. You know, we, we caught a lot of flack for this in the offseason. People were like, y'all just hate Ole Miss. And it's like, which, again, that that is that and the we're living rent-free. Those are the two... Those are the two like seesaw polar opposite ends of the spectrum arguments people have. Dude, like we love we either, Oxford. What are you talking about? You hate us, and and you know you don't like our team, or it's we're living rent free in your head. Those two arguments are so stupid. But so I just I just thought with Ole Miss and their schedule and how young they were and how much they lost. I mean, how yep. much they lost on offense for what they've been able to do. And, and and honestly, the defense has been the most impressive part. The the defense. I I let's take away the Mizzou game. Look at the rest of this the schedule, and well, maybe take away the Bama game. But, Take away those. But two I mean, games. like I mean, Bama's done that to everybody. But but it is, it's been interesting to see how impressive, um, how impressive this defense and this offense have been, and how quickly Matt Lucas has been able to have those kids buy into his system. Because because I thought, listen, I know he's in. Technically, this is year two, you know, of, of him being the head coach. I thought he was gone. Year three. I mean, I, well, yeah, but he was like he was an interim coach before that, right? I mean, yeah. So, well, yeah, inter- okay. we went through that for Orgeron, Fair so we might, you know, we like we can't. It's I, I thought he was going to be gone, and and he, I I thought he was just a caricature of a person, just this big, kind of overweight, like kind of like you know, meatloaf. Me, he guy. looks like meatloaf for sure, but just this big kind of like oaf that I didn't think knew what he was doing, and just really loved the University of Mississippi, and I was wrong. I mean, him going out and getting those, those two those two coordinators, Richrod and McIntyre. There hasn't been any undermining. There hasn't been like dissension in the ranks. Like he's he's done a great job, in my opinion, and he's done way better than I think anybody would have thought he was going to do. That Calif- Well, I mean, what? Are, they're four Fair and enough. three. I, they're they're three and four. Wait. Oh yeah, keep forgetting about Memphis. Damn it. Yeah. yeah, Memphis. Memphis is the tough one. Yeah, but still. So they lost to Memphis, Cal, Mizzou, and Bama. That's why I didn't necessarily have them higher than eight, which I thought I would have had him at, at the bottom of the barrel in terms of SEC coaches yeah. coming into this year. But I think that he, he has impressed both of us, despite the fact that they only have three wins. It's It's been a different story, I think. for And you have to factor preseason expectations into account. The fact that they have the youngest returning offense in the country. Yeah. And they're doing it with... Obviously, very inexperienced quarterbacks, um, Matt Corral, John Rice Plumley, the two quarterback system, something I actually hate. Yeah. We'll get to a little bit later. But um, yeah, I, I, Ole Miss has impressed. I'm surprised you would have him at number three. Probably, probably too high. much, but that's, that's fine. fine. <laughs> a little bit too much. How about, okay, how about this? I would have had Muschamp probably like 11 or 12, somewhere between 10 before and 12. Before last weekend. <laughs> before last weekend. But then seeing what he did against Kirby, I have him. I had him up there at seven. What do you think about? I think that? you ha- he, having him under Kirby is unfair. I don't like that. Well, here's the thing. It's it's you like, and I know I made the point earlier about we just saw Pruitt 
brutally outcoached Moorhead. Their resumes are a lot closer. Yeah. We've we've seen we've at least seen Kirby this year. It's still a top six defense in the country. It's still a team that beat a top ten team in Notre Dame. They're still ranked in the top ten. I, I get all that. I, I mean, I Kirby at six. It wasn't like yeah. I you know had him at like but, two but or three or something like that. From a like coaching that. standpoint, from just a coaching standpoint, I will say again. Muschamp had a week off going into this game, right? I mean, which is maybe that, that helped him out. But Muschamp outcoached Kirby in that game. Right, but it's it, again, it's not just based. It's based on your your entire resume. Yeah. You've lost to UNC that already. You know, you, you you know you had the the brutal loss against Mizzou on the road where they didn't really stand much of a chance. Obviously, they've already lost to Bama in that game. We actually came away a little bit more impressive. South Carolina. Well, we didn't at the time, but now we do. Quarterback. At the time, everyone wanted to crap on Bama for how bad they looked. But no, but like you know, what's interesting about this too? Like, but but think about this. Now, Will Muschamp below Kirby Smart. Will Muschamp is one of the few. Well, not one of the few because there's been a lot of coaches have had to do it so far. Will Muschamp is a, is one of the guys in the SEC who lost his starting quarterback, who was a a fourth year senior right. starting quarterback, and had to start a true freshman, and then go up against what's arguably the, the most difficult schedule in the country. Uh, especially out of the gates. I mean, UNC is better, I think, than people thought. But like that, that trip to Mizzou, especially with that defense, that's one of the top defenses in the country. They're a top ten defense nationally, right? And it's yep. also a game where you're now your backup quarterback has been injured, and then you go to Georgia and you have your third string quarterback in, and you still manage to beat a top three team. I, I would put him above Kirby. And Kirby, Kirby, listen, when you this is this is something I said in the off season because Bama fan or people that like have been excited about Bama losing, and Georgia fans have been a group that is, I think, they've carried the flag in that parade. I'll say that. The, that group and, and all the stuff you hear about in the offseason is like, well, you know, like you lost another offensive coordinator and you lost another defensive coordinator and you lost all these coaches. And they keep fleeing away from Saban. And I remember saying to Georgia fans, like, you know what? Now that you're in year three of Kirby and you're having all the success, now you guys have to start playing that game. You guys have to start, yeah. like, you know, when you lost, when you lost, uh, who was the five-star D in the, the treasure of Florida? I can't think of his name right now. Um, Brennan Cox. We we Brent lost him Cox, in like yeah. in that that whole dismissive attitude. Like, well, we didn't need him. He wasn't going to start anyway. Same thing when you know, we bring in Coley and like and then Cheney goes to Tennessee and it's like, well, we didn't want we didn't want Cheney. See, now all these things start to factor in, start to matter, and that whole you know kind of like I don't want to say this word because I don't think it's a real word. Dis- discontinuity is that a word? <laughs> uh, we'll go with it. That's we'll close. It. I know continuity is a word. Regardless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your face, your face, your face, and you go say it, say it. <laughs> anyway, that whole that whole lack of continuity. How about that? Um, and moving to season, you got to start. You like that's what these elite programs have to start facing year in year out. And I think Kirby Smart. This is the first time he's had to face it, and it's not gone well. Yeah, I think I think Kirby's been a middle of the pack coach in the yeah. SEC so far this year. Um, I had, I did not think I'd have him this high a few weeks ago, but Barry Odom in the top five, I think he's absolutely deserving of it. The way that his team has bounced back, he has potential to rise even higher on this list. If Mizzou continues to rack up the wins without Kale Garrett, what a great sign that would be for that defense. Let me put Odom at three. (laughs) Let me move Matt Luke. Yeah, let me move Matt Luke down a little bit behind some of these guys. I'll put Matt Luke at five. Yeah, let me put him down. But yeah, that's a good point with Odom, especially with like, that so that's one example that we talked about. You know, like he's a defensive coach. How well, how yep. great they've been on that side of the football. It's it's been awesome to watch. And and in the offseason, too. I mean, and this is not necessarily a big popular topic of discussion. And because he's on the defensive side of the ball, he's not really going to get the credit for this. But 
Kelly Bryant has looked really yeah. good so far. And a lot of people last year when Kelly Bryant announced that he was transferring to Mizzou, they're like, what? What, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? And for Barry Odom to be able to bring in somebody like Kelly Bryant into his program, that's another one of these offseason moves that has worked out well that I think you have to be able to give Barry Odom credit yeah. for. I think that's that's a, that's worth bringing up as we talk about how he has performed in 2019, being able to have that system in place where they do say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna trust you. We're gonna give you the keys to the ship. We're gonna let you yeah. just roll with this." And his his team has rallied around it too. I mean, I talked about it last week with the offensive line and how well they played to be able to protect Kelly Bryant. That that team is fully bought into to everything. And we talked about the transfer numbers in the offseason and how amazing it was that they didn't have guys enter the transfer yeah. portal despite that bull ban, the the pending bull ban, all that stuff. I give Barry Odom a lot of credit. Wait, I might have been too low at number so five. They went four and oh in uh in November last year, right? They go four and in November every so, year. So so basically so, yeah. they they're that bowl game loss to Oklahoma State was bad. That was dumb. But they're basically nine and two in their last eleven games, which is impressive. Um, and and I'll say this too, he he could have been, and I think probably was initially like kind of a laughing stock of the SEC, bringing in a guy like Derek Dooley, just from just oh from, he got crapped on which that. Yeah. and you know like <laughs> Derek Dooley did coach a game in all orange pleated slacks from a from a bar stool, which is weird. Never, Never forget. forget that. But I mean, so for him to stick to his guns on that, and then also get Kelly Bryant, and and keep in mind, like, and I think a lot more has been made of it now than maybe in the beginning of the season. But like, when you have the offseason they had, and he, this is the only team in the SEC somehow on a pole ban that's going in into the season on probation, and which is a pretty unjust scenario, and it still hasn't been figured out. And then they lose the most, maybe one of the most embarrassing games out of anyone in the conference this year at Wyoming, yeah. especially with with the, where their expectations were. Losing game one, that thing could have gotten sideways real quick, and it didn't. Yep. And they they've they've stuck together. And not only like you know we talked about it last week when they were playing Ole Miss, like they they've not only turned it around, but they've turned it around in such dramatic fashion, especially on the defense side of the ball. That he's he should probably be up higher. He you know he should be above Matt Luke for sure. Yeah, probably yeah. above Matt Luke. Uh, what do you think about New Gus at four? So I had him. I had him in the top five. I, and now I'm questioning all my rankings because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's how many losses they yeah, well, I think that's fair. I think I think I think Gus at four is probably probably just about right. Um, think think about this too. The fact that we're sitting here at the midway point of the season, he has a borderline top ten team. They're, they're yeah. number eleven right now. And obviously they're coming off the loss to Florida, and recency bias doesn't favor New Gus necessarily, but has a top 20 rushing attack in the country, which was the key area that we were going to look for them to improve in. And you've already got two wins against ranked teams away from Jordan. To me, Auburn is still very much in this scary, don't want to face them, don't want to see what they develop into at the end of the season category. I think they're going to continue to get better offensively. Now, obviously, that's not taking into account what they've already done in 2019. But I still think that the resume is, is pretty solid, yeah. all things considered. And the fact that this is his play calling, he took ownership of this, and he said, you know what, this is the fix I need to make. They are in a significantly different spot than they were at this time last year. Last year, everybody knows they go 3-5 and five in conference play. His changes and his his decisions that he's made in the offseason have paid off really well, and I think that's why he deserves the benefit of the doubt to have a, to have a top No, I, I agree with that. And, and, you know, keep in mind, he could have lost to Oregon, which is a top five team in the country, uh, in my opinion. But no. did it? But, but I mean, did it? I mean, they won he, that game. He, what he's done, like, like I think the rushing attack, like what you said, is most important because people forget last year 
that team, they they had about 1,000 yards less. Their season total average rushing was about 1,000 yards less than what their— 1,000 yards yeah, ended well, but, but also, yeah. like, their total rushing yards as a team was about 1,000 total yards less than their, their average is uh, has been under Gus Malzahn. Which that's, I mean, that's a lot of yards. That is a lot of yards that you're losing. Um, to be able to make that up, be a top-20 rushing attack, have a freshman quarterback, um, you know, Gus didn't throw four picks or turn the ball over four times against Florida— he did. He is ultimately responsible for bringing in a true freshman on the road in the swamp, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think you got to you got to tip the cap to him because he's he's had a I I, th- I think he's probably I don't know if it's exceeded expectations, um, but the offense has looked a lot but, better, but, and he put he put all that on his his own shoulders. Exactly, and somebody who came in with everybody's just waiting for him to fail. Yeah, everybody just is expecting that two and two start. And oh, he's going to be gone by the, by the start of October. And for him to to come out the way that he has so far, I, I think is impressive. And I think that's why he gets he gets a pretty high ranking here. How about Dan Mullen at two? We've already kind of hit on Coach O. We don't need to talk oh, about no, that as much. I think. Well, I mean, we already hit on on the like the whether or not he deserves yeah. credit for this offensive turnaround, all that stuff. I I I think the staff hires he doesn't get enough credit yeah. for the Joe Burrow thing. You can go. I realize it's not just 2019, but it was still his. His move to be able to say in the middle of the offseason, we need to go get ourselves a quarterback. Right. And well, obviously that is paying dividends for his the program. The thing with Malzahn, too, I meant to say this, is you look at these other three that we have in here I, that I think we could agree with, and, and then even Odom, they would be like top four, top five-ish. Malzahn's yeah. the only one that had a quarterback controversy before you know going into the season, or a decision to make it quarterback. Felipe Franks was yeah. coming back. I mean, I know he got injured, and Trask has looked great, but Franks is coming back. Obviously, two is going to be the starter. Obviously, Burrow was going to be the starter, and obviously, Kelly Bryant was going to be the starter. So, to not even have that be in question, you know who's going to be taking snaps for you. I think that's a big deal. So that's that's another reason why Malzahn, I think, has done an impressive job. But yeah, you're. I mean, I would still have Orger on ahead of him um, with what he's been able to do and, and the moves he made, like you said. And just getting his teams ready to go. I mean, we talked about that with Kirby, too. Kirby's team has just totally been sleepwalking in the first half of the last three games. You never question that with LSU. You never, ever question that. And to me, I think Coach O deserves a lot of credit for that, for showing up on the road the way that they did against Texas, and obviously showing up the way that they did against Florida, against a very talented, very good defense. His team was ready to go from the jump. All right. I put Mullen at two. Just because I think week after week, we continue to say, my gosh, Dan Mullen can coach. Yeah. He has been so, so good with a backup quarterback, a guy who's never started a college game in Kyle Trask, and putting him in spots to succeed. And that's not taking away from Kyle Trask because he's been accurate. He has not been afraid of the moment no. at all. But I give Dan Mullen so much credit for not saying, oh, we're going to panic, we're going to kind of bail on this plan, and we're just going to we're just gonna hope Emory Jones can figure it out because he's the most talented guy. He said, no, Kyle Trask is my guy. I'm going to coach him up. I'm going to be able to build an offense around him, and I feel like I still like our chances to be able to compete in the SEC. And right now we're sitting at the midway point. They've got a, a, a top 10 team with one of the better resumes yeah. in the country. Obviously, the LSU loss, I think we looked at that and said, wow, Florida's even better than yeah. we thought. And if teams are... If People are saying that about you after a loss. You're doing with something. a backup like quarterback, Trask and TDs. Yeah. Trask, you know what I'm talking about. Here we go. Um, oh strip club anthem. For How the did it take that long for you to come <laughs> up with yeah, that? I've been, I've had it for weeks. I just needed a time to say it on the actual podcast because I don't think people got yeah, it when I, I wrote it in like the script uh, or for any of the stuff on social media. Regardless, um, I have so I have Mullen at one. I have Mullen above Saban, and the reason why wow. is because so it, for me personally, for me myself individually. Um, I was so low on Mullen 
Like we we got into arguments in the offseason. I was like, dude, I don't think he's a top ten coach in the SEC. And I was just I was flat out wrong. I was flat out wrong about that. Had the struggles against top twenty five. Yeah, teams I mean he's like and... ten and thirty nine. That's worse. I mean, or ten and yeah. thirty or something like that. Like that's worse than a struggle. So I, I had him ranked lower. I think he's done such a great job of coaching. Again, when you don't have a guy like Felipe Franks, who, listen, there's so many people that are, are. It's so easy to love the backup and talk about how, you know, um, well the backup's better than Felipe Franks anyway. And Felipe Franks was one of those guys that you definitely had some question marks about even even with like the great stats from a year ago but for him to still have his game plan in place for Dan Mullen to come in and be like yeah even so we lost Felipe Franks I have a backup we need to rally around this backup and we need to like obviously get a game plan in place for how to make him successful but to have the backup in and still play Emory Jones and to still do what you do best as a coach and scheme guys open and and I, I it's been wildly impressive and and with Grantham especially on, on defense I this Florida team has been Probably the the most impressive, and, and a team that's proved me wrong more than anyone else in in the country this year. Um, Go figure, and it's a team that's actually dropped in the rankings from where they started in the year. Craziness. But I think we're we, we're we're now believing that Florida is God, better. We talked about this for a long time. I didn't realize this. Uh, did. Last thing I'll say about one Saban. Last thing. Oh well, I'm gonna say this real quick. Um, okay. We talked about this off air, and this is something I think that just just being fair. This is not me trying to be a homer here. But you think about how much screen time. This is what I said to you. How much screen time and FaceTime. Joe Brady has gotten from LSU. And I get the fact that that turnaround that that offense has made has been way more drastic than what they've had yep. at Bama from a year ago to, to this year, which that's totally fair. I totally get that. But the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian, somebody that has been such a scapegoat for fans to pin anything that's gone wrong with, with offenses, not just national championship game at Bama for one game, like never mind how difficult those circumstances were, but – for one game there, and then obviously with the Atlanta Falcons, and then to bring him back in and to and to have the offense be even better than it was a year ago, that something needs to be made. Saban of that. was ripped for yeah, that, and no one's saying anything about Saban it. Saban was blasted. Yeah, I think it's I think it's one of the more underrated storylines of this season because we've seen it before from Tua, so we just assume okay yeah. he's going to be fine. Let's not forget that this offense looked drastically different under Brian Dable a couple oh my years God. ago with Jalen Hurts as the starter. It was just a totally – it wasn't the best fit. I think that's why ultimately why Jalen did not play to yeah. the level that we thought it was going to be. And that's not to say it's all on Brian Dable, but in year two when you're supposed to be making that development as a starter, he simply did not make it. It wasn't a good system fit. We saw what could happen against Auburn when – yeah, still won a national championship, all that. But still, wow. I think that this could have gone wrong. Yeah. This could have. And I think that that's the the move that Saban made to basically gut his entire coaching staff in the offseason and have to find you know find whoever was going to be willing to, to come on board. I, I don't know. That, that's maybe not the best way to phrase it. I don't know how much of a struggle it yeah, truly was. Yeah, he did but I mean... Yeah, it's not like he was, you know, sitting on the corner saying, hey, come to RDC <laughs> or something like that. But uh, I give Saban a lot of credit for that, too. And just as we've talked about before, I mean, they deal with the loss in the beginning of the season to Dylan yeah. Moses, where, you know, that was a guy you were expected to be the quarterback of your defense, and you, you're without him all this entire yeah. year. And Bama is sitting here at the midway point as the number one team in the country looking as dangerous as ever on the offensive side for sure. And defensively, I think they're still developing. I think they'll still continue to get better. But they've blown out every team that they face so far, and they have looked everything like Bama fans would probably hope. I realize that they hope the defense would be even better. Yeah. But, I mean, you're, you're still destroying well, so, and, and, and to, to that being said, and this is something we, talk, again, talked about off air, and I promise we'll move on after this. But, like, yesterday David Pollock, he came out with, like, his, his – his, uh, basically his grades like for like the midseason like uh, report card and he gave Bama a B minus and there were a lot of fans that were like you know what yeah it should have been a C plus the special teams is terrible the defense is terrible 
we talked about this last week with LSU. Like maybe one of the reasons they gave so many yards is because that offense was on the field for forty what forty one plays or forty seven plays, something <laughs> stupid last week. That this this offense scores so quickly, and so the defense is already going to be on the field longer. You're, I mean, you're right to say the defense hasn't looked as dominant as years like years past. But when you look at like I think the most important thing, the scoreboard. With Bama averaging 51 points a game and giving up 17. So you're outscoring opponents by 34, almost five touchdowns a game. And you have fans that are still upset saying, like, this defense doesn't look as great and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Like, no one, no one is giving credit to the fact that, you know what, and and we talked about this last week too, because everyone's giving, like, the litmus test is going to be like, well, what did he do against LSU? If Bama loses that game and goes 11-1, the overwhelming majority of people in the country are like, well, see, they didn't play anybody, and the defense wasn't that good, and you could see it coming all along. What Saban's been able to do with four true freshmen in the front seven and with that coaching set and what they've been able to do on offense, man, you talk about all like the nitpicky things they're they're not as good at a couple years ago. This team is light years ahead of that 2017 team. So you want to put Saban at one then? <laughs> you know what? Matt Luke is number one. <laughs> all right, we're done with this. I can't do any more rankings. Let's let's go to week let's go to week eight picks and over unders. I'm going to give myself a big fat you pat killed on the back it. for this. My guess the lines were as good as they had that ever was been. Incredible. I'm going to run through this real quick. So Kentucky, Georgia, I guessed, trolling you, that it was going to be Georgia minus 25. Right, right on the money. Minus 25. Florida, South Carolina, you gave me so much crap because I said Florida minus 5.5. That line is Florida minus that, 6. It, it's, I'm sorry, sir. It's down to 5.5. There oh, you go. All right. We're on even more of a roll. Um, I said Auburn, Arkansas was going to be Auburn minus 19.5. I was off by two points on that, but it did open at 16.5, and and I guess 17.5. So pretty good there. Um, LSU, I guessed, was going to be an 18.5-point favorite against Mississippi State. They're a this one, this one blew my mind. When you said when you said 18.5, and I was like, what is he talking about? And then it was 19. That's crazy. So then I had the one that I was like significantly off on, was Mizzou, I guess, was going to be a 16-point favorite against Vandy. They're actually a 21-point favorite. I said 21.5 so. or 20.5 on that one. I got there one go. right. All right, so it's a team we got it covered. That's good. Uh, A&M I had as minus 3.5, but you said that it was going to be a pick I was way off. And A&M is, A&M is a 6.5-point favorite that. on the road. That's we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. And then Bama I had as a 32-point favorite, and they are a 34-and-a-half-point against Tennessee. <laughs> So pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that was incredible, man. I was I was shocked when I saw that. That was um, some big spreads yeah. too to be able to get. Agreed, agreed. I'm very proud. You should of be. That was impressive. All right, let's now now time to knock me back to earth with some picks and whatnot. Kentucky and Georgia. Everybody expects Georgia coming into this game to be angry. I expect them to be angry, of course. We expect them to just be able to dominate against a one-dimensional Kentucky offense, or maybe we think it's going to be one-dimensional. I yeah. don't know. I'm hoping Lynn Bowden is going to be the guy that seems like Kirby Smart is preparing for that. He was comparing him to Heinz Ward during the week. <laughs> Love that comp. That's super fun. I get really excited thinking about that. I remember that, that. Heinz Ward um, game in 95. That was sad to watch. That, like, he, he was, everyone was injured. That man had to play receiver, running back, quarterback in the same year. That's going to be yeah. Lynn Bowden. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting to that point. We really are. Georgia, can Georgia cover a 25-point spread, do you think? Yeah, I do. I, and so here's the thing. There's, it's always sometimes it's always good to get a loss out of the way, and especially when you're somebody like Georgia who has has everything still in front of them, despite how embarrassing that loss to South Carolina, an unranked team at home. Can't say that enough. 
was a week ago. But let's go back a week ago when I brought up all the stats about how, listen, Georgia has only beaten Carolina by more than 25 points one time in the last 40 years. I didn't do my research this week to see how many times they've beaten Kentucky. That seemed like it would probably still be a lot more than just one time um, of 25 points or more. They've beaten six, in six out of their last nine wins against the SC East that have been by more than 24 and a half points. I'm going to take Georgia to cover um, just because I think this is, they're going to be come out refocused, I would assume. And Kentucky, it's a night game, so they'll have all those like lights out. And Kentucky is is whether they like it or not, they're one dimensional. The one thing that worries me, and I'm going to pick Georgia to cover as well, just for all the the points you mentioned, Lawrence Cager. And Brian yeah. Herring are the two glue guys of that offense. And we saw that offense really, really struggle without them on Saturday. Not saying that's why yeah. they lost necessarily, but they're both banged up, expected to be game-time decisions for this one. If Georgia's playing without them, that's that's troublesome because their depth at skill player positions is maybe not kind of what we right. thought it was. Those two guys more important than we even realized, but I will still take Georgia to cover. How many references are we going to get to the South Carolina loss in oh, some way, shape, or form? I set the over-under at 11 I think it'll be under that, but it has to be... It's going to be, be a lot. Yeah, I mean, they're going to talk about nonstop pregame. And then, and yep. then anytime there's there's like a... a if, if, if Fromm throws an interception, or if they don't, if they don't oh, yeah. get like a lot of push up front, Kentucky's able to stop them on third down... This is what happened a week ago in the South Carolina loss. I, so that's that's a pretty good line. And when he hits a back shoulder throw, they'll be like, "This is what yeah. he struggled with last week when he threw I, that second Maybe I'm not. I shouldn't be the one like weighing in on any of these lines. Like you are the expert on this. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Florida and South Carolina. Florida is a six point favorite on the road. Uh, South Carolina is expected to have Ryan Halinski for this one. Will Muschamp says he thinks he's going to be ready to go. Great, great news for South Carolina. We're thinking probably the worst when he was out for basically the second half against Georgia. I am having trouble with this one, I'll be honest. I keep going back and forth because this just sort of feels like, and I know Florida continues to impress me, so I should probably, I'm just, you know what, I'm going to pick Florida to cover, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say my piece on this. Doesn't this kind of just feel like, Florida is going to struggle to distance itself from South Carolina, and it's going to be one of those things where we look back on and we're like, in the middle of this game, we're going to say, oh, man, I guess really what they did against LSU last week maybe wasn't quite as impressive. Florida still has some issues. Is that possible? Especially this Florida offensive line against what we just saw from South Carolina's defensive line. Florida's offensive line played well last week, but South Carolina's defensive line is no joke, and that's a home game for them. I'm going to pick Florida to cover, but I'm very worried about it. All right, here's what I'm going to say. Past couple weeks, I've done so much research. I mean, just an unreasonable amount of research to tell you why things are going to happen. Last week, more than ever. Okay, so many hours, just just for no reason. I went, I think four and three or three and four. Either way, it was not great. I think it was four and three. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Every single week this year, I've picked against South Carolina. Every single week. Every single week. My man Nick Bai has let me know every single week. And they come off one of the biggest wins, I think, in program history. And you know what? The the best thing that I've heard from guys like Brad Crawford, uh, from guys like Justin King on social media, is the talk in that locker room is not necessarily about let's get bowl eligible. Let's go out and, and win this game or let's try to finish with six wins. It's let's go win the East because somehow that's still in front of them. I don't think, I don't think the East is going to be one with two losses. That's my guess. That's a great guess to have, Connor. I'm sure everyone else has also had that guess against the South Carolina team. I'm taking South Carolina to win straight up. You go, you go into Oof. a game with with Florida, and you've had a backup quarterback, and you've got you've got against 
you, you have a home game against Auburn, which was a big, big emotional game. Then you go on the road against LSU. Game day's there again, second straight week. Big, big emotional yeah. game. You lose on the road. They look fine. I, I think I think Florida is the better team here. But we saw what that South Carolina team was able to do against Georgia in, in this kind of spot. We saw what they were able to do against uh, Alabama up front, that defensive line. We saw what Auburn's able to do against Florida's offensive line, right? I've got South Carolina in the upset. Is this a 12 o'clock start? Wow. Um, I think I, I could be. Uh, they play in this game on a Saturday. Uh, <laughs> is it a Friday night game? <laughs> it is a 12 o'clock start. There is no worse hangover, okay, than leaving Baton Rouge and Gainesville mm-hmm. and then having to have a 12 o'clock start. It's not September or August, so it's not going to be hot as blank in Columbia. It's still going to be hot. I got I got South Carolina winning outright. Yeah. Wow. Let's go. All right. You know I, I hate those five-point spreads. After all, the praise, after all the praise that we just gave Mullen. How many times in this game will we hear the word... Spurrier said. I set the over-under at Dude, that, that you should have had the line for the Georgia game for this one. This is, this is like, it'll be a bazillion <laughs> times. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot more than that. I want Spurrier wearing one of those halves and shirts. <laughs> like, a, like a mid-drift? Just like a like polo a down the Yeah. Yeah, the old uh, AJ Hawks. Uh, AJ Hawks' sister who was dating Brady Quinn. Or, yeah, was it his sister? Oh, that was uncomfortable. The whole Brady thing Quinn. was weird. I don't yeah, think it was his girlfriend dating Brady Quinn. That would have been hilarious. I think I think, you think AJ Hawk's girlfriend was girl... dating Brady Quinn. No, no, no. AJ Hawk, AJ Hawk's girlfriend was Brady. Quinn's yeah, it was sister. something like That's that. What it was I think it would have been cool if yeah. if she was dating both of them and had the jersey and it was like, all right, whichever one of you wins, Ooh. it's like a like a King Samson thing. Like Angela. The yeah, duel. that's right. This isn't the Great first episode. time two people have fought over me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know. We remember uh, Auburn and Arkansas, the Gus Bowl. Auburn, nineteen and a half point favorite. I think that coming off of the bye week, I feel like we say that a lot. Coming this off the sucks, bye week, yeah. we expect two, this two team bye to do this, this, and this. Yeah. I think that Auburn is capable of having better offensive days than what they've had in the first part of the year. I am a little bit worried, as I said, about the loss of Booby Whitlow and what that running game is going to look like without him, how important he was to that ground game. But... I still, I'm still, I'm feeling really good about about the favorites covering. Yeah. I, I feel like I have a good feel for Auburn. I think Arkansas is really going to struggle to score against that defense. I think Auburn's defensive line should be able to go into Fayetteville and dominate up front. And I think it's like what you always say: Is Arkansas going to be able to score right. seven, ten points? I, I this this feels maybe a little bit more like one of those twenty-eight to seven type wins for Auburn that maybe they don't necessarily blow the doors off them offensively, but I think they covered this one. I don't, I don't think you? that a Gus Malzahn team coming off of a off a bye week is going to only put up 28 points. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I think they're going to I think, I think they the win by a lot. I, I'm surprised this line is this low. How many references, then, to Gus? How many references are we going to get to his near hire at Arkansas? I It's somewhat – I set the over-under at .5 because sometimes – it's a little bit awkward to bring this up because they don't like you to do it because the coach who's there then looks kind of bad. And they talk about this type of stuff in the production meetings where they don't want to necessarily go back and, and revisit, oh, what was the offer, what wasn't the offer, because a lot of it is is still a little bit kind of hearsay between the between the weeds type of stuff, and it wasn't necessarily out there, and you don't really get a whole lot of people talking yeah. about it a ton. Um, 
So that's why I have that over under. So yeah, I don't get that at all. Uh, <laughs> I'll say that's way too low. About a half. So they will bring yeah, it up. They'll bring it up. They'll bring it up. It'll it'll be brought up at least once. No. Okay. I, I'm gonna have to watch that game and have the volume on because I'm. I'll make that make one of us go that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> LSU and Mississippi State. Gosh, Mississippi State is a 19 point dog at home to the Fighting Joe Burrows. Yeah. I tend, I tend to look at a game like this. I know I have criticized Mississippi State a lot, what and I have said that doing? originally I had Mississippi State winning this game, so this is a bit bonkers to be talking about. But I think LSU coming off the big emotional win, everybody's telling them how great they are. They're feeling good. I still think they put up points. Don't get me wrong. But I still think they might have a couple of issues on the defensive side of the ball. They weren't as good defensively as maybe what what you know they, 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 the final score kind of indicated. I know they put the clamps yeah. on in the fourth quarter once they got a little bit of rest. But I think Mississippi State's offense is actually able to run the ball a little bit in this one. And I think this could end up being, I'm going to reluctantly say this ends up being one of those 42 to 28 type of games that LSU wins, but Mississippi State covers a You think Mississippi State is going to put up 28 points? I mean, Vandy put up 38. A lot of points against yeah, LSU. Yeah, but Vandy has, has actual good offensive players outside of just Kylan Hill for for Mississippi State. Mississippi I State's know. offense is I garbage. Know. It's flat out garbage. It's it's an us against it's an us against the world type of week where Joe Moore has sure. been hearing okay, it about people who want him you, gone. You, don't you ever I, tell me about hedging ever ever again. You came on last okay, week and had enough. a Joe Moorhead rant that I listened to again today, along with my Avril Lavigne to get pumped up for this, and then. You had, what was it? Then you don't, no. He's, no. That's what we do, though. We have the entire week to talk ourselves back I'm not into talking something about, and look, slowly This LSU surely. team, maybe they sleepwalk a little bit through the first half of an of a early kick and, and start. No, it's a 3.30 game. LSU is going to yeah, boat race this game. team. Yeah, I, I would take I would take the over. 19 is too low. Also, I'm, you've, you're so good at, at most of these other over-unders. You have to explain this one to me. I don't get it. I have LSU interception. So passes that LSU is going to intercept. Oh, okay. I say that. It, Meaning how many interceptions will the Mississippi State quarterbacks throw? I set the over-under at I was 2.5. I was shocked because it was like, you know you know what? All that research maybe did, did did be some good for even this week, like from last week, you know? Because <laughs> Mississippi State, fun fact about them, like they, they have, they're third in the country in, in total turnovers forced um, with like 16, but 10 of those are fumbles. They lead the country in fumble recoveries. Oh. It's really weird. Um that's actually not a good sign moving forward because that's a little bit. It's considered kind of yeah, a luck without set. a doubt. It was ten. It was ten a week ago too. So yeah, um, I will say LSU interceptions over two and a half. I'll say over. I mean this 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 team is bad. This, this is a bad team. Derek Singley might have three. Yeah, well, he's only mediocre as that one guy said on Twitter. So, um, gosh, what yeah, a for, no, I'll I'll say over in this one. I, I just I, I get a feeling like that LSU defense again. We saw what they did last week. Um, you know, I know they were they gave up twenty eight points, but. They didn't give up any points for how much of the like like for the what the last 20, 25 minutes of the game. Yeah, essentially when LSU finally had a four minute right. scoring drive, right. they basically they, the rest. They, 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 yeah. they put the clamps on. Yeah, Mizzou and Vandy. Mizzou is a twenty one point favorite. I'm not picking Vandy to cover a spread until further notice. I just can't. Uh, I, I know you do. Twenty one is an awful number. If it's nineteen and a half, something like that, I think it's a little bit easier. But I'm just out of spite. Just saying Mizzou is going to cover in this game. Kelly Bryant should throw the ball all over the place against this awful, awful Vandy defense. I think that this might have 
potential to be a little bit of a sleepy start just because Mizzou going on the road to Vandy, there's going to be like 15, 16 people there at Dude, that game. Dude, it's Mizzou's Friday first, night in Nashville. It's their first road game since week one. Since we one. are in week eight. We're in week eight. Don't know how that happens. Ugh, gross. I think Mizzou covers, though. What do you I'll think? say they cover, but this this is the best example of what you said against like for for Arkansas. Um, I mean, this Vandy defense is, is god-awful. It is just a porous defense um, that is just discontinuable with each other. <laughs> um, no, but they, they really are. They are awful on defense. So when you said the thing about Auburn and, and Arkansas with 28-7, to 7, how, have we gone, how has this podcast gone on so long already? Um, I'll take Mizzou to cover. What did we do? Is this all my fault? Did I talk too much again? Probably. No, Probably. no. It's good, good spirited okay. conversation. Nothing wrong with that. I set the over-under for Vandy attendance at 22,000. <laughs> now, keep in mind, there are not there, there is no way there's going to be actually 22,000 people there. But paid attendance is yeah. very, very different. Last week, they barely got over 20,000 paid attendance. I doubt they actually had 20,000 paid no, attendance. No, Mizzou travels well for that. Um, so listen, this is... I've. Despite what one uh, writer said who called me, or I'm sorry, one commenter last week on our SDS actual site who called me the B word and said that I have a vendetta out against Mizzou, one of the many Mizzou games that I've been to on on the road with my buddies was Mizzou Vandy. They'll travel for uh, decently well for this, especially with it being like pretty much the only like the, the first, definitely the first SEC road game of the year. I think uh, Mizzou fans will probably travel well. I'll say over. Yeah, so what if they have 10,000 yeah, fans? Maybe you're right, under. Where, where's the other 12,000 coming from? It's almost basketball season now, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll say, I'll say under on that. Um, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, but this, this is a fun game. I got kicked out of a Cadoba after this game, so fun fact there. Oh, lovely. A&M and <laughs> Ole Miss. A&M is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. You, uh, you're, you're taking Ole Miss to cover. I'm taking Ole Miss to cover What as the hell, well bro? Home. I got Ole Miss winning I, outright. Yeah, Ooh, I got I got Ole Miss. Love, I feel, you love the I feel home way more confident about this than I do Seth Glenn. No offense, Nick Vi. Um, I've got Ole Miss covering and winning outright against AM. I think AM is is headed for uh just just a, a down downward spiral. You know what? No! Connor, let me do I'm my on board the let me live my life, bro. <laughs> nope. I want to live yours exactly the way. You want to get kicked want. out of a Cadoba in Nashville in twenty thirteen? I don't think you want that. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I'm going to take Ole Miss to cover. I think the running game. I know you do. I know you do. I I hope Ole Miss doesn't really rely on the two-quarterback system as much as they were trying to do against Mizzou. I'd really just like to see a whole lot of John Rice Plumlee. I don't need to see a lot of Matt Corral in this game. If I have to go back on our stupid staff picks and change, Vandy's going to cover, and they get blown out like I did last week, I'm going to be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) I set the over-under at Matt Corral pass attempts at 9.5. Please let the under under hit on that. has to be under. Yeah, I think he had 16 against Mizzou. They were trailing for most of that game. That definitely has something to do with that. Tennessee against Bama. Bama is a 34-and-a-half-point favorite. Marler, can you talk yourself into Bama covering that big of a spread? You have before with Tennessee, I think. No, I know we joke around a lot. And and I want Tennessee fans to hear this. I gave you a lot of a lot of love in the off season. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna give you a lot of love after this game probably and 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 you know other times in the season. But we all know I'm a Bama fan, and we all know, you know, it's what makes SEC football so great is the rivalries. All right, I'm not too old or too young to forget Peyton Manning standing up on a on a, a chair or a, what did you call it a ladder, swinging Rocky Top in 1998 and Brian Denny or I'm sorry in Legion Field 
okay? I'm not too old or too young, whatever it is, to remember ja, I was Jamal Lewis. Ended up being a regular mine. John ja Rule. Rule. Jamal oh. Lewis. Ended up being a regular mine later in my bar sitting years singing We Own Alabama in Brian Denny Stadium when they beat him 21-7, two top 10 teams in 1999. I'm not too old or young to remember any of that, okay? I remember all of it. I, I don't like Tennessee. I, I love this rivalry. I'm so fired up for this. Bama by 100. Bama, Bama's going to win by 40. I think Bama rolls as well. I think on the road, as much as I said before, I think Tennessee has sort of figured some things out defensively. I don't think you can actually slow down Alabama's offense. Can I be a fan for this one? I, I think, don't want to be a journalist for this one. Can I be a fan for this one? I think I think Bama covers, but it covers late. Bama's had a lot of very close spreads late late in games this year where there's been backdoor covers yeah. or bad beats and stuff like that. Vegas has a pretty good feel for Bama, it seems like. Listen, man, I, I'm not a dog person. I hate, I hate all their quarterbacks. It's not that orange that you can sit with, okay? It's that puke inside of a pumpkin orange, Connor. And I don't like pumpkins. There's a mix right there of Marler and Coach O. <laughs> no one should ever if, if y'all had to Coach O face. If if the Marler and Coach O voice had a kid, that would be it right there. I'm gonna spit up my water. That's good. That would that that's that's what would happen. Uh yeah, I think Bama covers. We don't know if Brian Maurer is going to be starting in this game as Better of right starting. now. I don't know if that really makes a difference in this one, but yes, Bama covers. How many shots slash mentions of Butch Jones are we going to get in this game? I set the over-under at 4.5. Oh, I forgot this is a 9 o'clock start. I better make it. I better stay up late enough for this damn game. No, no yawning, yawning, Chris. No uh, I, so I'll say under, but the amount of mentions afterwards, what the real question is how many different pictures are you going to see on uh, the cigar afterwards? Yeah. This is about to be 13 years in a row. Good God. The picture with Butch last year with the cigar, if you're a Tennessee fan, that just hurts. And it doesn't hurt because you're like, oh, I miss Butch. It's just, why does Dude, he have he, to be him there standing next, that? Yeah, I agree with that, to be honest. Him standing next to Raekwon Davis with that cigar thing, he looked like one of those ventriloquist puppets like in a Jeff Dunham series. It was just like, <laughs> what is he? Who is this person? Is this a real person? It's ridiculous. Bayhoe fans were so fired up, too, that Butch was able to take part in that win or whatever. Saban gave, him, gave Butch a little yeah. bit of love this week, gave him some praise, said he's been really good, didn't call him an intern. First, so first picture I took on Butch. the field after that Bama Duke game was him and Sark, and I was like, oh, they hit these two. Unbelievable. Yeah, the two, I, I basically took two pictures, and it was Butch and Sark, and then Hannah. later with <laughs> Hannah and, and Debbie. That's where our priorities are. That says everything you need to know, yeah. need, you need to know about us. All right, let's kick it to our interview with our good pal, Luke Del Rio. So for those who don't know, um, like I said earlier, somebody who came on the podcast a lot last year but has since transitioned into coaching, that is why we have not had him on the pod. He's been trying to keep a low profile and just trying to make sure that he's not burning any bridges or doing anything like that. But it was so, so great to catch up with Luke. So here is that interview with Luke Del Rio. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good buddy, former Florida quarterback, Luke Del Rio. I, I suppose actually the better intro is Coach Del Rio. Is it weird being called coach everywhere you go now? Yeah, it definitely is a little different because growing up, every time I hear Coach Del Rio, my dad was with me. Uh, right. So it's taken a little bit to get used to, but uh, you know, after going through the majority of our season already, it, you know, I've kind of gotten used to it. But thank you guys for having me on. 
Oh man, it's it's been a long time coming, and we, we missed you, Luke. <laughs> we did, we did. We were spoiled <laughs> last year because we got to have you on so often, and obviously, like you were in the media world, but so much of your life has has changed really since the last time that we did have you on. Can you kind of just give our our listeners a bit of a rundown of kind of where your career path has gone and how much you know things have changed for you in the last year? I guess really since since you stopped doing since you stopped doing the podcast stuff and you transitioned into coaching. Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's been a it's been kind of a kind of a weird year, and I and I've actually been pretty quiet on social media. I actually deleted social media from my from my phone uh, back in March or May. Uh, just was spending oh. too much time on it, so it makes sense why people aren't don't really know because I haven't been keeping people updated. So uh, I was doing the drawback last year. Really enjoyed doing it. Um, Love coming on with you guys. I love the interaction with the fans. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work because it was just me. Um, so I, I really do appreciate podcasts now and really just media presences because I, I, I kind of got a glimpse into how much work it is. So well done, you too, because I, I do I do Thank appreciate you. now. Thanks, just it, it is a grind, and, and it's hard to keep people's attention. Um, so you guys do a really good job of it. But – I, I just got kind of uh, – I got kind of over being on the surface level of it. You know, when you're playing or coaching, you're, you're deep in the game plan, you're watching film, you're trying to find tendencies and all that. And, and those types of things you don't really get to dive into when you're in the media because you have to appeal to the average fan. And the average fan thinks it's cool. Like, they think it's, it's kind of, you know, neat to see, oh, they ran a post because the safety – wasn't there or you know they got this big run play because of a missed tackle and i missed it i missed kind of the side of no they were in quarters all day and the safety started to get aggressive because they're running the ball so well so they did a play action deep post over his head more of that stuff or it wasn't a missed tackle you know the backside linebacker missed fit he's supposed to be in this a gap he was in the b gap that's why the other linebacker had to try to make a hero tackle and end up being a touchdown so I miss the deep dive and there's just not a big enough really audience for that. Um, or you just have to unpack so many different layers for them to be able to kind of keep up. I know that's, that's kind of arrogant to say, but you just, you know, a lot of people don't even know what, when I say 11 personnel, they, they don't know what that means. So, um, I, I, I just missed the, <laughs> well, thank you. But I just, I just missed the, the, the intricacy of football really. And, uh, and I miss being around the game. I missed, I missed competing to be honest. So now you are an assistant coach out, out in California, California, that's okay. Santa Margarita high school. Am I pronouncing, am I pronouncing that correctly? Don't try to say it with, like, yeah, I, re- I realized I just, uh, I totally like rambled and didn't answer the question. So yes, <laughs> I, am, uh, <laughs> I do that a lot. So yes, now I'm coaching. I got into coaching, and I'm uh, I'm out in Southern California in Orange County, um, and I have a great story for you guys. Don't worry. Um, I'm coaching Ooh. tight ends and helping with quarterbacks at Santa Margarita Catholic High School. It is where Carson Palmer went to high school. To kind of put it in perspective, um, we are we are in the Trinity League, which is a, a league of teams out here. So modern day the number one team in the nation. We actually play them on Friday. They oh! are the, the, number two, the number two team in the nation, St. John Bosco. Their quarterback is committed to Clemson. 
Um, Bryce Young, the quarterback from modern day, is committed to Alabama. Roll Tide. Yeah, I know. Um, he's great. So we play both of them. Both of them are in our league. I'll get to see Bryce Young wow. in person this this Friday. Um, so we are in the hardest league in the nation. Not really debatable. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm out here coaching, and I love it. And uh, before you make a or, you know, Housewives of Orange County joke, our Shoot. school, the school I'm coaching at, literally, literally shares a gate, basically, with the neighborhood where most of those housewives live. <laughs> Luke, that's literally Allie's only like in, input to this. I was like, hey, help me think of a question for about California. And she was like, Orange County? Oh, ask them where the Real Housewives live. So that's Boom. great. Thanks a lot. Yep, they're right there. <laughs> they're right there. So that, well, I don't, right I don't really have any other questions. So I guess you could talk about how smart you are again if you want. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, in that case, yeah, it was good to talk to you guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, yeah, have a good one. <laughs> this is so, like, you've been, you've been gone. For, go ahead, Connor. No, I was I was gonna say, you know, the the coaching aspect is is what we're really interested in because we we don't see people transition from from media so. into coaching at your point in the career. It's one thing to do it when you're you're a coach who's looking to stay on and you're you know you're you're keeping you're staying in the media game, but to have this career path where right after your career you decide to to do this and go the media route, and then you decide no, I do want to get into coaching. I imagine that there are a few things that you didn't really realize maybe until you were fully immersed in it as what happens with any new experience. What's the biggest thing that you've learned so far since you started this coaching stuff? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I probably realized how many aggressive things I said on my podcast uh, were aimed at coaches. <laughs> that was probably one of the first things I noticed. Like, wow, uh, I'm probably going to be asking that guy for a job pretty soon here. And I just went on some tirade for 30 minutes, and that's probably not good. But, um, no, uh, it's been great. It, it really has been. Probably the biggest thing that I didn't really expect as a coach is, man, I mean, I, I grew up around it so closely growing up. I, I had a pretty good idea of what it was. And I, I actually think that's why I didn't want to do it is because I, I knew what it was. You know, I, I knew the hours were long. Um I knew that it was year round. I knew that you don't really control where you live. I got lucky for the first first job. Um, I, I actually had a really a really good idea. I feel like of, of kind of what it is and what it isn't, and that's why I didn't want to get directly into it because it was kind of like, look, I, I know what that is, and if I, if I want to do it, you know, I can jump into it. But I, I want to try something new, and I did. And I lived in New York City, and I worked at a desk job, and I hated it. And then I worked in the media, and I loved it, but it just wasn't quite satisfying. So, um, kind of a kind of a weird answer, but I actually it's actually exactly what I expected, and I'm enjoying it a lot. God, I'm gonna quit this podcast by the end of this interview, guaranteed. I'm gonna go chase these dreams of being like a magician or something. This is great. Flying solo. All right, yeah. that's the goal. <laughs> no. So, so this is it's kind of a similar question. Like follow up question here is, um, like we've talked about this before, but I, I'm someone that that quit. Uh, playing college athletics and just like a, still a huge, huge regret in my my life. But um, there's so many things I feel like I misunderstood when I was a player that I learned like like that like from a coaching standpoint of like what my coach was trying to do until after I was like not just you know obviously I wasn't ever a coach but being able to be more of like mature and adult and be like oh man like I, I was wrong about that or I kind of wish that a coach would have done this 
versus the way I, you know, he his coaching style was. What's what's that biggest right. uh, lesson you learned? Yeah, that that that's also a great question because I I too, you know, being in now a situation where I'll, I'll make a cut up or a highlight or or something for the guys to watch and. I can tell if they didn't watch it just based on questions I'll ask. I can tell, you know, that they didn't watch what I wanted them to because they'll just still get the answers wrong or they won't have details of it. Um, and it, it's given me perspective of, look, they're kids. They're 15, 16, 17. Some, some of them are 18. And even in college, like, I mean, I think once you leave college, you're, you're, you're a young man, but you're, you're still not really there. And you know, I'm not saying I'm there either, but, I try not to be too hard on them because I get it. I was there. And when you're in high school, you have all the answers. And when you're in college, you definitely do. Um, so just realizing like where they are kind of development wise, uh, mentally, emotionally. I mean, they're, they're in probably the most awkward time of their life. They're try they're always on guard. They're so self-conscious. I mean, everybody is in high school, you know, everybody is. College yeah. don't care as much because there's so many people around you, but you're in a fish tank. So, you know, they just, they want to be cool. They want to be liked, all of that. So that, that has kind of been a, a learning curve of, okay, you can't expect them to prepare like they're Peyton Manning when this guy doesn't, he's already stated to you, he does not want to play in college. He just wants to be a college student, which there's nothing wrong with that, but have lower expectations then for the amount of effort, time and all of that that he's going to put into football so yeah it's definitely definitely been a learning process so Luke I think this is a pretty important question if it hasn't been addressed yet it, it needs to be do you have a trademark coaching look yet you know Spurrier's got the visor Gus Malzahn's got the sweater vest have you kind of found what your go-to look is going to be oh that's a great question yeah I'm not a hat guy I'm not a hat guy and I'm definitely you got not too a good a hair for to be a hat guy Luke. don't do with it yeah well, yeah, I, well, I don't want to say it, but thank you. Um, I don't want to, you don't wanna, I mean, you know, dad doesn't wear hats. I don't like to wear hats. First of all, it's a full day commitment. If you wear a hat, you're wearing a hat the whole day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, That's good nobody wears a hat for the first half of the day, and then they go, no, nah, I'm just going to get rid of it. Okay, now your, your whole head is matted down. Like, I mean, it's a full commitment. So, um yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not rocking the, the the suit and tie like my dad did for a couple games on the sideline. Um, max comfort is required when when I'm yeah. out there. Um, but no, I haven't really settled on anything in particular, hoodie cut off or anything like that. Uh, just try to be comfortable. That's fair. Do you, do you have a go-to phrase yet? My like my college coach was always like Marler, and it was just that was it. It was just him screaming and hollering at me. Like, do you have a go-to phrase? Well, it's probably good that that I'm at a Catholic high school because it, it has yeah. cleaned up mm. uh, my language. Um, that was a learning process as well. Um, but no, I do not. And if I wasn't at a Catholic high school, I probably would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good. I love that. So you, now that you're out in California, and, and I know you were briefly at Oregon State before, people might forget that, that that was the, you, you had that, that before you even got to Florida, you were at Alabama, you were at Oregon State, you're kind of the, you're, you're a well-traveled man, you definitely are, but now that you're living there, are, are you all of a sudden a Pac-12 guy, or are you still just kind of preaching the SEC gospel to the masses out there? Uh, definitely preaching, 
Uh, that's an easy, quick answer. Definitely preaching Amen. because it's it's the best conference, and they can argue all they want. All I say is just watch them. Just watch the games. You tell me what is more entertaining: LSU versus Florida, or Wazoo versus Arizona, or even you know USC versus uh, UCLA. It, it's just different. It's a different type of football. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. I think uh, you know the amount of draft picks that are coming out of the SEC um, are telling. The outside of Ohio State and Clemson, the playoff is basically just an SEC tournament. I mean, that's that's what it's been. And uh, there's a reason why Florida was on college game day the past two weeks. You know, they have the best teams, some of the best coaches, most of the best players. And it's not to say that there's not other teams and other good players, all of that, but the concentration is just so high in that conference. And there is – not a team in the conference where it's like, that's a gimme win. I mean, you should win. If you're Alabama, you should win most of your games. But if you pull a, you know, a Georgia and you play South Carolina and you're kind of like, we'll win, you know, (laughs) we'll win, whatever we'll win. And, and, you know, they have five stars, four stars. They have really good coaches. They can beat you every week. It's like the NFL. So um, no, I'm definitely preaching SEC football. So this is something me and Allie have talked about uh, like a lot lately because we're moving into our first home. We closed this Thursday, just trying to just follow your footsteps of being an adult. Thanks, man. Um, but so we, we've talked about this like like raising kids like away from fried food maybe and uh, and leaving the South and like going out to LA. Like, do you miss being in the South? Like, not from a football standpoint, but like, is it is it fun to be around? I don't know, docile and sane people. Um, in the football season, or do you miss like the South, especially <laughs> during football season? Well, there's a there's a couple of there's a couple of stories that like kind of bring that perspective, you know, full circle. So I went to a Chargers game, which is at a, a soccer stadium. It's about thirty thousand yeah. people, and it's, I mean, there was like Snoop Dogg there on the microphone. J.R. Smith was on the sideline. Um, it, it's just like so LA. It was so right. LA. And then, oh yeah, they they happened to be playing a football game. If right. the Lakers, the Clippers, the Dodgers, any of the LA teams, if they aren't good, people just won't go. They just won't go to the game because there's just other things to do. They just don't really care. So yeah. when you get a team like Alabama or LSU um, or even really Florida, I mean, that's in Gainesville. There's nothing else going on in that city. So they are going to be die hard. But when you get in an area where San Diego and Mexico is right there and L.A. and Vegas is a two-hour drive, there's just too much fun stuff. There's too much fun stuff to do. So people just don't really care, you know, unless you're really good. Yeah. So. So, Luke, I know you've been staying off social media and stuff like that, but I know you've still been watching your Gators when we were watching the Florida-Kentucky game, I remember thinking to myself, if there is anybody who can appreciate watching what Kyle Trask was doing in Lexington, that, that it'd be you. Obviously, you you know what that's like to come into that game and, and win on the road like that. You you spent time with yep. Kyle. I, what are your thoughts on what he's been able to do since taking over for Felipe? Uh, well, first, I, I really hate to see Felipe go down like that. Um, you know, I'm very familiar with injuries. Um, that looked like a brutal one. 
wish him a speedy recovery, all of that. But the way that Kyle stepped in was amazing. Uh, this is a guy that, I mean, his story is very well known now. Didn't start a high school varsity game. Okay, but the starter was Derek King. Like, the guy's really right. good. He's a starter at Houston. If they say, oh, but it's Houston, just watch the guy play. He's incredible. So there's not many people that would have started over him in high school. So Kyle doesn't transfer in high school. So I'm not really surprised that he didn't transfer in college when it's become such a kind of a commodity now. And, and look, I transferred twice before it was, it was you know, the, the um, portal and all of that. But uh, kudos to him. When I was there, he worked hard every day. I just told uh, Will Salmon with The Athletic this, that I've never seen a quarterback work out, like physically work out, like in the gym, as hard as Kyle did every day. And he asked, like, well, what do you mean work out hard? You know, don't you all kind of do the same lift? It's like, yeah, but, you know, there's a way to kind of get around it. You can just do the sets and the reps and, hey, I did it, and they'll, you know, okay, you did it, you can go. I'm saying he would push himself every day. It looked like he jumped in the pool after the workout. And then at practice, even when he was the scout team quarterback, be dripping sweat at the end of the day. And that's another thing, scout team quarterback. I mean, you can get away with just throwing it up or throwing it away, or you can kind of BS it. But he always did such a good job of pushing the envelope as hard as he could. And I, and I, I kind of relate it to this is a guy whose only offer was from Florida. Big D1 offer, really, you know, the, the only kind of sexy offer was from Florida. And he realizes, in my opinion, how hard that was to get and how quickly it can go away. And he didn't want to spoil the opportunity. It's just my opinion. But the way that he works, the way that he works when I was there, the way that he prepared, um, great guy, really awkward guy when I got there. He kind of, you know, obviously he's come out of his shell a little bit you know, being the starting quarterback will make you do that. But um, always such a first-class act, and there's nobody that is more excited to see him start than me because, because of how he carried himself when I was there. And uh, even, even these past two years, I mean, I've kept up with these teams, and um, everybody on that team loves Kyle. So really, really happy for him. I, that was so well said, too. And I, I, I think it's kind of lost in the shuffle. You bring up a great point about how that was his one offer. Right. Jim McElwain's greatest thing that he did for Florida was give Kyle Trask a scholarship offer, despite the fact that people were upset. I remember people were upset that he got an offer because Felipe was in that same class, and it was such a big deal. Like, why are they giving this kid an offer based on how he performed in camp? But obviously, you know, Coach Mack knew what he was doing a little bit. You're a Mack guy. I, I know that... You've watched this season and the way that it's played out, and while you haven't necessarily been voicing on, on social media your support of Florida, I'm just going to give you this floor right here to be able to brag about your Gators because Marlon and I have both admitted they are way, way better than we thought they were going to be coming into this season. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and going back to, to Coach Mack really quick, I mean, that, that takes courage to offer somebody who has offers from, I think it was like Sanford, Houston Baptist, and one other. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. You know, you, you would be shocked at the amount of teams that just look at how many stars you have or who has offered you. Oh, a rival's offered you? Well, we're going to offer you because you can't go there. It's pretty commonplace, but um, right. it, it does take courage to go out of your way to offer a kind of an unknown guy that's never started. You just go off basically the tools that he has and the person that he is. But Speaking of Florida this year, um, Dan Mullen has done 
a phenomenal job. And that entire coaching staff has done a phenomenal job. Not only recruiting really well these past two years, making it fun to be there. You know, I, I watched the HBO special that they did on the Gators having competition on a random Tuesday or Wednesday when they come in. I mean, that's, that's awesome. These are still college kids. They're 18 to 22. You still have to keep it fun. And I'm not saying Coach Mack didn't. I just think they're doing such a good job of it now. You know, the day before the game, keeping it light, keeping it fun, playing gator ball in the indoor. To me, as a coach now, it's funny because all I could think was, don't get hurt. Nobody get hurt. Nobody get right. hurt. <laughs> all I could think. Not like, not like oh, I, you know, I want to play. I want to score. I'm just thinking, like, if somebody rolls an ankle, oh, no. So um, then I thought, hey, they're playing in tennis shoes. They'll be fine. Um, but no, he's, he's done such a phenomenal job and, and, and catering to the fan base. I mean, he, he's, he's so aware on what gets the Gator fans excited, what gets them riled up, um, hinting at the black uniform two weeks ago. That was genius. Yeah. You know, they might not have black uniforms this year, but it just lets the fan base know, Hey, he knows that we want it. That's awesome. You know, maybe they'll work towards it now, you know, just his awareness of kind of what is needed at the right time. And I think something that he did really well with Felipe and now Kyle and Emery, can you, can you think of a better job done rotating two quarterbacks where it hasn't no. become like an issue? I mean, it's unbelievable. And again, as a coach, that's kind of a nightmare when you have to rotate two quarterbacks and like, oh God, are they going to get you know, self-conscious, are they going to lose confidence? Uh, is the team going to fall out of rhythm? They've rotated Emory pretty much year-round, um, yeah. you know, giving him four to, four to ten drives depending on the outcome of the game. And it doesn't really seem like there's a lack of, you know, fluidity in the offense or anything like that. It's been really impressive. And credit Kyle and Emory and Felipe when they do get pulled. You know, when the other guy goes in, it's not this, oh, I'm benched. It's, no, 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 we're just changing things up, making it hard on the defense. So the messaging when you do that is so important to quarterbacks because, you know, look, I get it, we're tough, but we're also fragile. You know, if you quote-unquote bench us, it's really hard to keep your confidence. You know, but it's, it's the way that you present it. Hey, now they have to worry about basically Wildcat being in. So you're going back in, you're not benched, we're just – giving them a change-up for now. So uh, credit to the entire staff for doing that. And then Todd Grantham doing such a great job with the defense, who a lot of people thought was just going to be okay this year. Um, getting Jonathan Grenard, the outside linebacker, who unfortunately got hurt early in the LSU game, um, he has been a godsend for the, for the whole team because he's taken so much pressure off of Jabar Zeninga. So, um, no, a, a great job by the entire staff this year. That was great. That yeah. was really good. Tough and oh, fragile man. is exactly how I would describe myself, but mainly just fragile as well. <laughs> and also, like, just like, you know, being scared about people getting hurt. Like, I have a daily Tua cam that I have installed on my Mac, and I, that's how I feel when he goes to class, Luke. That's not Always legal. nervous. That's not <laughs> no, that's not legal. We can't even talk about that. He'll be fine. Um, he got, it, was, it was a freak injury last year with his ankle. He'll be fine. I'm excited. I'm very – things are looking good. Regardless – we are going to close you out with, I don't know if you remember this, we've got a new name for it. You're the first person we've done this with under the new name. We, we changed up Family Feud. It's now called the SDS Pod 2-Minute Drill. All right. Original. Yeah. We are. Name. Yeah, we're super original. Just trying not to get sued out here. Did but Marler, Did Marler name the original? You know what, Luke? That's not important. He did. But yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... 
We've got ten questions. Uh, they are all rapid fire questions. We'll put two minutes on the clock, and you just tell us the first answer that comes to your mind. Are you ready to play? Yes, let's go. All right, you have to be around idiot kids all day. What is the dumbest kid trend you've seen? Uh, mid parts, like hair, mid parts. The California mid parts. Mid parts. Oh, thing out here. I, I know. I know. I, 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 They're not getting beat I, up. I'm trying to tell them. It's not a thing anywhere else. I'm trying to tell them that. It hasn't been since '98. Okay. All right. Second question. Um, <laughs> best part of Cali: tacos or tequila? Tacos for sure. Tacos are what? unreal out here. It's a very good answer. Um, third question here. One thing you miss about the South the most? Uh, the the beach. The water being warm. The water's freezing out here. Yeah. Okay. I always said anything but the humidity, but that's good. That I like that. That's fine. Um, favorite that's Halloween costume ever? I'm dressing up as uh, like a disco Elvis this year. But I was Batman for six years in a row, so Batman. <laughs> okay, Jeez, that's good. That's excessive. Um, <laughs> uh, on a scale of one to stay-at-home mom, how much Nike dry fit are you wearing on a daily basis? <laughs> Probably like the average yoga-going mom. There you no. go. Okay, that's good. That's an eight for you guys at home. We'll, we don't want to do a deep dive. We're smarter than you guys. Anyway, um, what's the worst take I've ever had on Twitter? I know that you're off Twitter now. If you're still if you're still looking around, what's the worst take I've ever had on Twitter? Oh, can I can I look this up really quick? Because you have a you have a horrible one recently. Hold on, <laughs> I actually have Twitter. Open. Was it? Let me was it related to? It was like. It could have been uh, was Oregon it being in the top related... five. No, because their defense is unbelievable. Thank you. Thanks for coming to my defense on that, then, Let jerk. See. Let me see. I can't believe I have to scroll this long because it's usually they're pretty frequent. <laughs> he's a he's a heavy tweeter. He's a heavy tweeter. <laughs> you are. I'm... You are twenty four thousand tweets. Come is, back. Is that what I've got now? Yeah. So it's my job, guys. So you guys can back off. It was probably something related to Michael B. Jordan, which, as we know, yeah. Luke is not a fan of. Oh, wow. You guys really held on to that one, didn't you? That was yeah, fun, never right? letting go. Never letting go. With my been, luck, yeah, I saw Creed 2. And he's going to go, you know, I'm, I'm way different than Channing Tatum. I'm like, all right, dude, relax. I listened wow. to the SDS pod almost daily, and I didn't know what you said about me there back in 2018. Really going over the time limit here, Luke. Could have, been, could have been that bad of a take. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Marley, why don't we go to the, yeah. the In-N-Out Burger. Okay. Let's let Luke come back to that one. In-N-Out Burger, overrated or underrated? It is underrated. So every there time, people say when you move out here, oh, you'll like it for a month, and then you'll get over it. Uh, no, that's false. Yeah. I will still demolish a double-double. God, a little animal style. That's, dude, I spent $51 at In-N-Out after the national championship game. I hear you. I hear you. It wasn't all for me. Were you, um, were you, were you alone? I was, I was not. I bought a t-shirt. There's a lot of stuff going on. We don't have time to unpack all that. Anyway, okay. best wedding day advice you can give me. Ooh. Ooh, when's the date? April 24th, 2020. Nine. No, I'm kidding. It's next next 20, April. 2029. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my God. Um... <coughs> Make sure you say something to everybody that's there. 
no matter okay. how many people are there because they, they made an effort to come see you. So even well, I got a lot like, to say to some of these family people. Just wait. And it gives you a reason. It gives you a reason to not get stuck in those conversations that no one wants to be in. Oh, yeah. Like ever. But it's your wedding day. So it's like, hey, I'm sorry, but I have to go say hi to everybody else. Thank you very yeah. much for coming. Boom, you're out. Okay, it's smart. a nice touch too. That's you got to do that. It's a really nice touch. You make the rounds. People feel like people get that personal touch for a little bit because you got to do it right after. Usually, like right after you eat, you eat really quickly, then go do it or something like that. But that's a great point, Luke. Definitely. Right, I'm glad that. you could chime in during five minute drill, not two minute drill. Here we go. Next <laughs> question. Man cave must. What is a man cave must have? Uh, for me, uh, two TVs at least. Because the Ooh, game you want to watch is the game you need to keep an eye on because you bet too much money on it. Like, see, that's that's <laughs> the thing. There you go. It has nothing to do with work. Um, and then last but not least, who wins the 2019 SEC championship? Don't say it. Say it. Who wins it or who's in it? Who wins it? You're both. Uh, I think we're going to get a rematch of LSU-Florida, to be honest. And I think – uh, yeah, 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 and I think uh, I think LSU is probably going to win. Well, that's all the time wow. we have for Luke today. He scored zero points. Um, <laughs> it's the lowest score we've ever had on two minute drill. Luke, you got sixty nine points, I guess. That's still oh, nice. Very nice. Very very nice. There we go, Luke. Um, we're gonna have to. We'll, we'll we're gonna workshop some ideas for you for your signature look, some signature catchphrases. We'll kind of. We'll, we'll we'll bounce them off of you, and we'll kind of go from there. We'll 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 definitely have to have you back on when you've got like your full true coaching coaching identity. Um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll circle back with you when you're you know like an assistant coach next year at Stanford or something like that, and just working your way up. Does that sound good? I'll yeah. That sounds good. Yeah yeah. I need I need ideas. I need ideas, but uh, no hounds too. No hounds too. I'll do the style, Connor. You do the catchphrase because it's a Catholic right. thing, and I, you know I don't have a PG mouth, so that's fine. This, this is good true. stuff. <laughs> we can definitely do that, Luke. Appreciate you coming on. Best of luck with everything the rest of the season. Best of luck with all of those uh, future national championship winning quarterbacks that you're going to see in the next few weeks here. Um, best of luck to your Gators, right. and hope everything goes well for you. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, Marler, don't don't cry too hard on national TV. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Let's <laughs> talk to you soon. Thanks. We'll right. talk to you, man. See you guys. Appreciate Luke coming on. Great to catch up with him. Um, hope everything goes well with him. It'd be really weird if we were doing this podcast three or four years from now and we were talking about Luke as a head coach, or not a head coach, but an assistant coach in the SEC. If Luke is some sort of quarterback's coach for. I, I don't know if he's a quarterback's coach at Florida or something like that. I know people are saying, oh, it'll take a lot to get there. Yeah, it will, but we believe in our guy. Do you think that I won't be fired by then? Good point. Good point. <laughs> I probably should have walked that take back. Um, that's, <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right, let's get into fourth and wrong. It's our favorite part of the week, uh, each, besides game day, obviously. But each every week we reach out to our Facebook group now, which, again, um, Straight fire. God, you guys have been killing it, man. We were over like 2,000-something, uh, I think it's like 2,100 people. Dang. Um, Want to give a shout-out to my little – my group of uh, – I don't know, i got to think of a cool name for, for my group of consigliaries that uh, has been helping out with that. That's a big uh, word for content. you. 
Yeah, just discon discon consigliere. Um, I have I shut up, man. What you don't make me bring up my SAT score right now, Connor. Anyway, listen, we <laughs> do it. Say it. Say the word. Um, fourth and wrong. Let's get into it. We have five this week because you guys honestly. This was like going through this week. This might have been the best group of questions we've had that we've ever had. A lot of good they, ones. They were just, there were so many good ones. So we'll start with Will Keithler. Um, he's an LSU fan, so I don't feel bad telling him right now that this was the worst of the five we picked. Whoa. But it's also, it's, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I'm just kidding, Will. Best food to eat when you're sick. Go. If you have some sort of sinus issue, spicy food. Give me buffalo like wings. Like that. Give me a lot. Of, give me something with some heat so I can kind of get, get everything kind of flowing through. You know what I mean? I, yeah. need, I need spicy food if, if I'm somewhat congested. I love that feeling of just feeling like, oh, You're man, disgusting. this is working really well. Hey, it does yeah. the job. It's functional. It tastes good. I'll, I'll take it. If you have some sort of stomach issue, something like that, obviously eating is going to be at a minimum. Yeah, I'm a big wheat toast guy. I actually can't do mm-hmm. eggs when I'm sick. But wheat toast, if you're either hungover or if you have some sort of stomach issue, just getting, getting some sort of wheat toast in you with a little bit yeah. of butter on it maybe. That that's usually kind of what. Ali's big into that. Yeah. Just like like so I'll just have some toast. I'm like that isn't that's not a band aid food wise. Like what are you talking about? Like anyway. Um, also hungover. I think I have a feeling that we eat different things when we're hungover because I eat everything when I'm hungover. <laughs> um, so you know, like when you say the sinus thing, especially that's a good point because and I'm not just saying this because they're our sponsor, but Texas Pete Cha. So it's like a sriracha based. It's incredible. Put that with some actual like ramen and stuff. Oh my Ooh. god. Do a little soup and you get the heat. It's like it's really good for me. Best food even you're sick. My, my thing's always it's always chicken noodle soup. Cliche. Chicken noodle soup. So I basic. love. I love some. Cra- I know. I love some crackers and stuff like that. I mean, I, you know, honestly, this time of year too. Like who? I said this last year, and I don't want to. I don't want to jinx myself because last year I got sick for like three days after I said it. But like getting sick this time of year in the winter, not always the worst. People have to take care of you. They have to be nice to you. Talking to you, Allie, if you're listening. Um, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, second, what song, video, or movie still gives you goosebumps no matter how many times you watch it? This is from Mickey, uh, me. And we had to choose one from Mickey because Mickey also wrote in one of the more disturbing questions I've ever oh my. received in my entire life, which was, would you add, would you rather eat a live pelican or walk around the rest of your life with a piece of bologna, like, stapled to your face? And then, and then said, and if the bologna fell off, fell off your face, you had to restaple another piece of bologna. I, I almost threw up just reading it. So we're gonna go with this one. What song, video, or movie still gives you goosebumps, no matter how many times you watch it? Okay, obviously it's it's sports related. I'm gonna go with my default cliche answer: Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Anytime I see mm. a video of that, I I have been YouTubing Cubs World Series reaction videos for the last three years of my life. I'm not ashamed to That's admit pathetic. it. It was the best moment of my life as a sports fan. It'll never be replicated. I'm totally fine with that. Still chills every single time. I also, every once in a while, love watching the video. I have the video on my phone that I have that you use on SDS every once in a while of um, Won't Back Down. Oh, that's Tom Petty in the Swamp. Being there for Florida LSU last year yeah. was so awesome. Seeing that moment, seeing that crowd kind of all all in unison, just belting out the yeah. lyrics of that song was really, really cool. That's a if when I'm on a flight sometimes and every once in a while you get that moment when you're on a flight and your stomach's maybe a little bit upset or you're kind of feeling a little bit like motion sickness type so thing. So you start crushing hot wings. Crushing hot wings and then I need to get a little bit of adrenaline going and I'll watch something like that and all of a sudden it makes me feel better. Um, That's good. Okay, so my answer... 
there's no way you would ever guess this. Um, I will say, like, from the video clip from SEC stuff, Bama coming out of the tunnel is always pretty cool. It just and, and allow me to be a fan for a minute here, and like I'm not trying to piss off Auburn fans or anyone else, but um, like last year when they did uh, Dixieland Delight yeah. at all against Auburn, and <laughs> this is so bad. The sportsmanship is awful, but the whole thing they took that away from, or the reason they took it away is because of, like the F Auburn part. So the second time through that, if you listen closely, um, every single line, it wasn't like, on beer, or any of that. Like, it was just, F Auburn, repeatedly. That part, was that that, that was a pretty funny video, I think, for me. Um, I'll, t- I'll give you two. Song-wise, it's it's uh, Dave Matthews' band, All Along the Watchtower. I don't know what it is about that song. It's just, for whatever reason, if I could be running, I could put that on repeat, and I, I could listen to it. The entire mile and a half jog <laughs> that I have. Um, no, like I mean, because I've, I've been doing this a lot. Like lately, is like trying to like get back into running and stuff. And uh, like I went like on like a four mile run like a week ago or a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, totally. And um, I'm pretty sure I listened to this song for like three of the four miles. I just for whatever reason that song always gets me amped up. And then video wise, this is this is my number one answer. And I don't think anybody would have guessed this. Is <laughs> this this is the most basic white girl thing I've ever said. Do you remember the Oprah Black Eyed Peas video from Chicago? No. Oh my God! So this is still this stays like one of my like my favorite video of all time. Oprah Black Eyed Peas, just YouTube it, and it's like the I got a feeling. They it's like the first time someone did like a uh, a flash mob. So it starts out and there's like there's like thousands of people, right? And God, this is so white girl of me, but it's it's so good. It's like thousands of people, and this one person is just like fist pump or fist pumping in like in the front uh, in the front by themselves. The look you're giving right now, you need to go check it out. It's all. <laughs> and then slowly, like the next wave of people starts going, and it goes all the way back. Like it looks like it's it's like a mile long, and then the whole group is like in unison doing the same dance. It's you know what? We'll watch it afterwards. It's awesome. I'm gonna just remind the people that you were just asked what gives you the most goosebumps. And you referenced something from the Black Eyed Peas, and when you were asked about your favorite smells of the South, you referenced cigarettes. <laughs> I thought about you yesterday because I was I was getting off a of Marta, and someone had a Black and Mild, and I was like, "Oh, there it is. Oh, that's, that's the good sweet, stuff. sweet tinge on the nostrils. <laughs> that's the good stuff." Uh, okay, this is from Sean O'Brien. Have you and Connell ever gotten into a bro argument? If so, how did it resolve? Okay, so there was the argument that we had for our Christmas episode with Josh Sneed. Oh man, that, that was, that was yeah. a doozy. So yeah, it was rough. we essentially got into an argument over that, and we've gotten into like little tiffs here and there of like yeah, like a little offhanded comment where it, it just kind of didn't sit right, or yeah, little things like that that happens when you when you have to interact as much as we do, or we're talking throughout a day, or if we see something that we recognize, or if one of our opinions yeah. is proven wrong, we roast the other person for it, or something like that. <laughs> just just guys being dudes, normal yeah. stuff. But the argument that we had over Christmas with the Josh Sneed oh episode God. was, the, I think, the only time where one of us is like hung up on each other or something. I, that was me, yeah. yeah. I had a show that night. I flipped out. I was so pissed. We got we got into it because, essentially, you were supposed to be the, the host of this episode that we were doing with Josh, <laughs> and you felt like I was just leaving you out to dry and I wasn't answering these questions. And I felt like you weren't setting us up to answer anything. Yeah. And I had asked you beforehand, oh, do you want us to come up with our own original answers for all this? And you said, no, just play off of whatever I do. 
And so that's yeah. what I was trying to do, and you were not. <laughs> no, dude, we'll wing it. Does this not, does this not sound like anybody listening to this right now? There's not a single person that's like, I don't know. Connor sounds like he's just telling his side of the story. Like this isn't completely accurate of how this <laughs> happened. Like this is so spot on. I, I screwed up this entire episode. This should have never failed, and I, I messed it up. It was rough. That was our single toughest interview to get through, yeah. just because it was really difficult for the dynamics of it. Three person calls. Yeah. We, we we really try our best to do it. It's not an easy thing. We're all in different places when we do this. That one with Josh was the time that I just felt like afterwards. I'm like, why are we doing this? Why why can't we happened? just have one-on-one yeah, like, interviews? Dude, we we had, we just got through the actual season and everything was great. Yeah. Like, and you know what's funny about that too? I'm pretty sure that was the episode right after Kirk Herbstreet or right before. Either way, yeah. It was but right it was around that. it was it was like just a season long success. Like, where, you know, we we brought this odd couple together of me and you, and then somehow it worked. Like, everything was going good. And then <laughs> I just tried my damnedest to run it into the ground. Man, that was With this rough. terrible Christmas episode. I remember afterwards, I sent it to our, our producer, our then producer, uh, Mark, and he, he, just, he just wrote back, he goes, yikes. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it was bad. It was, the whole thing was bad. But, um, no, we're better for it now. I, I will say, there are times, like, we'll get into, like, a little bit of bro arguments and like i think we got i snapped like the other like a couple weeks ago i was like i got i got it connor and it was something like like this will this will feed into like the the fifth question here as you guys could guess with how energetic and amp what's the word i'm looking here for connor uh amped up amped up and just like i just i fly off the handle like i i'm i'm reactionary to a lot of stuff and, and i usually this comes as no shock like when i react to stuff it's usually the emotional part of me that's reacting at way before the logical part of me. So Connor does a really good job of like bringing me back down to <laughs> to like square one. And like whatever I got mad about last night, I snapped at you. I was like, I'm sorry. Like you know, like because I know what Connor's trying to do. It's just like make sure I don't get into my own head. Exactly. And I'm not and I'm not like overreacting because you know we, we don't. We don't want to let Chris off the leash too much, and I think that's for everyone's sake. And we've seen that. I've seen that before with you, and that's. And sometimes I, I you know, sometimes I'm short tempered, and I have yeah. moments where there was one time. Uh, for example, like when we had this all day battle of, and a lot of these issues that we end up having are just because communication being in different places. Sometimes it's yep. really difficult to kind of convey how, how one of us is feeling about a certain subject or something. Right. But there was this one day where I just had like a million things going on and it seemed yeah. like nothing could go right. And you called me at the end of one of these days and you were wondering what what one of our bosses thought of this idea. Oh, it was last year. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was just I like, remember this. I, I just answered the phone. I was like, Marla, I don't care. Like, figure it out. Figure yeah, it out. I don't have freaking time for this. I don't have like, time for this. And I like hung up on you. Cool. And I was like, all right, I might have overreacted a little bit. That was my fault. <laughs> Heat of the moment. My bad. Oh, it's all good, though. It's uh, Yeah, I mean, like a lot of that, this goes with anything. Like any any relationship in general, communication is like, just the biggest it, it that's that's how things go south quickest yep. is lack of communication or just if you because because like yeah i tell you what man we'll, we'll we'll get into like the very end of it the anxiety and stressful part of it but like if there's anything i don't this is not uncomfortable for me so i don't want anyone to get uncomfortable with saying it but it's as someone who's been in therapy if there's anything i've learned from therapy it's like communication with someone is so difficult to manage because like i i'm saying something and i know what i'm trying to say in my head but I don't know the way it's coming off to somebody else, and the way that other person is receiving it, right. it could be a whole another thing. So it's just it's it's one of those things. Um, okay, uh, that's enough about therapy <laughs> stuff today. Um, f- uh, fourth question: What's the best cuisine to get delivered? Not all food arrives the same. That's from Mike Anderson. I think pizza is still the best. I think um, 
I had, so when I was in Atlanta and I, I stayed at a hotel Friday nights because you were flying into town. You, you yeah. were actually in Orlando, ironically enough, and you were right. getting in really, really late. So I just stayed at a hotel Friday nights for that week one game, uh, Bama Duke. And I ordered uh, a burger from a place nearby from, you know, using DoorDash. Yeah. And it was good, not great. A burger fresh off the right. grill in that first five minutes or something like that, you really kind of got to get it then. Whereas I think pizza or something like that preserves a little bit better. It stays hot under the box. I probably wouldn't order a burger for takeout in the future. And, ter- and French and fries? Bun. French fries are terrible as well as takeout. Don't do that. Yeah, so that's that's the thing with you. It's like mushy fries, a soggy fries or a soggy bun. Like I don't feel like you hate yourself enough to, to like those. And now for me personally, love me some soggy fries. You can get more in your hand at once, Connor. Pass. <laughs> um, no, so for me, it's it's a pho. If you can't hear, what I'm, it's it's f it's pho to continuity. So it's pho like pho is. I, so that's that's my favorite cuisine to delivered on a day like today when it's like overcast and stuff like that. Oh my god! Trying to sound One all bougie I, now. Is that what you're trying to do? I, I don't I don't know what you're just now realizing I'm bougie. <laughs> um, I watch Oprah obviously on YouTube, so I'm definitely bougie. Uh, no, so but like the stuff with with like pho, I really enjoy. You know what the worst is hands down is I love getting like tacos and stuff like that delivered because like I just I love tacos in general. But like ch- cheese dip, don't ever 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 pay extra for cheese dip to be delivered because it's it's just gonna congeal immediately. Oh yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. Um, okay, last but not least, more therapy. What is your go-to headspace or thought process to overcome anxiety or stressful situations? Say it another way. How do you keep control of your mind slash emotions during stressful times? Michael Simmons. I've got a few go-to phrases that I use because my wife works a pretty stressful job and, you know, she'll text throughout the day and say, in over my head right now, too much going on. I always say one thing at a time. Take three deep breaths. Maybe take a quick walk if you have to. Just try and clear your head. Know that you can only you can only accomplish one of the things that's ahead of your your to do yeah. list. No matter how daunting it is, got to be able to just kind of knock it off. Sometimes just the act of making a to do list helps. Oh man! Or I'll just end up getting sidetracked and watch YouTube videos for fifteen minutes, and then I'm in a better headspace, <laughs> and that's all good. That's fair. Um, so for me, and this is this is again is something that like I struggle with a lot because I like I said like I just the way I'm built. Just the way I handle things is like I react. I react, and then it's like, oh, you did too much, or you said too much, and like, so a lot of times, like with Allie especially, she's really good about this because there'll be times when I'll say something, and I'm like, 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 okay, best example, A and M Bama, I, like I was pissed about something, and I knew I was pissed about A and M Bama. Devontae Smith ejection. No, I was pissed about that too. This is like the beginning of the game. I'm just like stressed out and I wanted to go do, like I wanted to get like something done and we had people coming over to like look at the house and we have all this other stuff to do. And I like, I like said something and I was like, I, you know what? I just want you to support like what, what I'm what I'm watching. And she looked at me and she's like, are you blanking, kidding me? You think I don't support? And she's wearing a Bama sweatshirt. And like immediately, like I took a step back and I was like, okay. Yeah. Like I, what I try to honestly do I was like, you're right. I'm an idiot. Like, I don't know what I'm thinking about here. Well, this is, and this is, again, I'm, I don't care if this sounds bad. Just go back to the therapy thing. I always try to find my fault in whatever happened first. Because if you can find your fault in it, that's a good point. if you are to blame, then that's the quickest way for something to get fixed. And that's not, that you shouldn't beat yourself up and try to find blame in yourself necessarily. That's, that's, that's self-sabotaging and, and, and very detrimental to your mental health. But if you can find, if you can be self-aware enough, like, 
I can't tell you how many times I've said something I didn't mean or done something I, I shouldn't have done, and then be like, oh man, like like you, you don't want to do those things. You don't want to fly off the handle. But the quicker you can find your fault in what happened, the quicker things get resolved. And being being honest with yourself, that's the best way for me to stay in in touch with my emotions and mind and stuff. And piggybacking off of that, like finding where you went wrong in a situation. Don't surround yourself with people who are never wrong and are convinced mm-hmm. that they are never wrong. That is one of my big pet peeves when you, you know that person. There's a person in your life who yeah. they could they they could make a mistake. They could tell you that that today is is Monday and, and it's and it's Wednesday and they'll they'll defend it to the death and oh why wait why right. wait no I, I said this because oh I was on this time zone or I was thinking of I was thinking of this 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 it's like. The people who just make excuses and try and justify for themselves, just never being wrong and never making a mistake. You can't admit it's fault. The worst. It's the worst. The absolute worst. It's that's. I mean, I'll say one thing about about Ali real quick is like what's like my favorite thing about her is that I was in like a relationship before for her that was the so worst, and it was somebody that was always like never wrong, and 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 that is so self destructive to yourself, like to you personally, to like especially if you're trying to like like be like go into any kind of like partnership with somebody, like do not do not constantly beat yourself up over stuff like find find other people that like you know honestly find people that like kind of all the things that you lack maybe personality wise or, or just like things that you struggle with the the best relationships i feel like are the people that kind of like bridge those gaps and, and, and make you know that wasn't even a question that's basically question six <laughs> everybody be everybody beefs up moral of the story yeah speaking yeah. of that it might mean too much james coley beefed up this past weekend with the georgia offense as many georgia fans took to the internet to express their frustrations with James Coley. <laughs> there is a petition to fire James Coley because that's what we would expect. Yeah. This the so the description said the following. UGA offensive coordinator James Coley single-handedly made us lose against South Carolina at home. He made our team a national embarrassment and that is unforgivable. He has no right to be an FBS coach, let alone a UGA coach. Very big difference there. Okay. He must be out of Athens ASAP. Please sign and tell every UGA and college football fan to sign as well so that justice can be served. Hashtag fire Coley. Okay. Who's Justice Beaver? Who's ju- what is Justice Beaver? Um, I get it. Here's, here's the, the thing about firing a coordinator midseason when he's on his, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, he's in his first year as the official, the lone Georgia offensive coordinator. This is a very prevalent theme with Georgia, as we know in years past, but I actually get the severe frustration with watching Georgia and watching LSU on the same day. If you happen to do that, I feel bad for you, Georgia fans, or if you watch Bama, something like that, just offenses that have really good spacing, and you're just thinking to yourself, why can we not do this? I feel for you, Georgia fans. Uh, probably not going to be the answer. You're probably not going to retool the entire offense in the middle of the season and fire a coordinator. Probably not going to all of a sudden make things better. Um, but I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'll say that. How about the, how about this? Georgia only scored 30 points against Vandy. Looking back now, how bad yeah. does that look? Oh, it, my yeah. gosh. Everybody scored at least 30 points against Vandy, including UNLV. Um, but uh, Northern Illinois and Georgia did not. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we're at. We have two quick five-star reviews that I want to get to. I'll read the first one, and you can read the second one. Go for it. Um, from Krypton Barton, respect. 
Five stars out of respect for your profession and the entertainment. I can't respect Oregon in the top six right now, though. The very, they very well could end the season top six, but when they are currently 10-plus teams, un, or 10-plus undefeated teams, there's no argument for a one-loss team whose only loss is also from a one-loss team. Those are all facts. I can't really argue that. That opinion also go for the overrated Notre Dame. Wisconsin, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Bama, Penn State, Baylor, Florida, Georgia, in that order. Big-time Gator fan here. I can get behind four shutouts in six games, only 29 points scored against. Shout out, That was a good five-star review because it, it taught me all the things I was wrong about. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every point that guy made was spot on, so thank you, man. Yeah, 12, 12 undefeated teams left in FBS. This next one is from DeMonte1992. If you were born in 1992, shout out to you. Chicago nice. Bulls championship that year. Very good year. Oh, God. All sides experienced. Okay. Fantastic pod. I wasn't previously a listener till SEC country went down. We'll bleep that out. In the search yeah. to find some other insights, um, <laughs> some other insights other than the, floor, than the pro Florida podcast, uh, don't get me wrong, love it, but proof is in the podcast. Love how it's reflective of all points and teams. Even though Chris has Homer moments, which I don't mind because Bama is Bama. I mean, y'all got the players and coaching, but go Gators. Tweet me at 187RobWD. So if you're looking for... On it, Rob. If, if that five-star view convinced you to go follow him, go give 187RobWD uh, a follow on Twitter. 187? Uh, never mind. Follow us on Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara. Make sure that you're watching Marler on Facebook Live. Saturday morning, Facebook Live. Coming Saturday back. morning, this Saturday, and then we'll do one Monday as well. We didn't do this Monday because uh, we were we were moving. So, love it. Got some big, big things in the works. We start starting next week. We've got our, our travel schedule picks up once again. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be fun. we gotta, we got to finalize some details with that still. But we hope that everybody enjoys Week 8. We hope that all these games aren't blowouts. Five of the, nine, five of the seven games in the SEC have spreads at least 18 or 19 points. Hopefully that doesn't continue. And we actually get close games. Let's hope so. Week 8, enjoy it. Marler, Coach Joe, what do we have to remember? Got him. More like, <laughs> more like no more head. Tell you later. Talk to you guys after week eight.